And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this Monday, December 11th edition of the Hagman Report. We are so happy to be here today. We got a lot of information we're going to get into. We got um, my father, Doug Hagman, who's a co-host. He is on, uh, he's doing something else right now, busy, but in studio. So John is going to be co-hosting the show with me today. And we got a lot we're going to get into. We got some fantastic guests coming up in hour two. We are going to be joined for a part two interview we started last week with Jake Morphonius. He has the End Times News Report on YouTube, and he has uh, been providing updates on the Las Ve- his investigation into Las Vegas and where that is going. We also have at 9.30, journalist Alicia Powell. She's going to be joining us. And then at 9.30 to 10, Peter Barry Chowka. He's going to be joining us in the last segment of the show to talk about his latest article, Anatomy of CNN's Boldest Anti-Trump Fake News Story. And we're going to get into this a little bit in the first hour because we have some interesting news as CNN has not only walked back scandal story, and there's some interesting media coverage on that, but also this from the Daily Caller today, CNN walks back Jeff Sessions' Russia bombshell story. And this goes on to say that quietly CNN walked back the bombshell reporting of Trump-Russia collusion narrative, and this time it's a story referring to Attorney General Jeff Sessions' security clearance forms. And this uh, goes back to May, where CNN reported that Sessions failed to disclose meetings he had with the Russian ambassador when he was senator. And this was an issue, uh, one of the issues or the reasons why apparently Sessions recused himself um, was some of these meetings that he had that he uh, testified about. If you remember Camilla Harris, she kind of grilled him during his testimony into that into these matters in front of the House a few months back. Well, this article goes on to point out that CNN framed the non-disclosures as more evidence of collusion between Russia and Trump, saying that he uh, continues to come under criticism and he has not disclosed these meetings and contacts in his Senate confirmation hearings earlier this year, so that is equal to collusion. Well, to bring this back around, they have had to admit today that the FBI emails prove that Sessions' explanation for the non-disclosure is accurate and did so uh, after newly released documents came out showing that the FBI told an aide to Attorney General Jeff Sessions that he wasn't required to disclose the foreign contacts that occurred. So long story short, CNN made a big deal about nothing, and Jeff Sessions, um, as we see, is still recused from the Russia investigation, but it's looking like he really... Um, he didn't have to disclose those contacts, so it's not an issue. Then the story that Chowker wrote about the latest round of fake news coming out of CNN or misreportings is much more interesting because it deals with uh, a number of mainstream outlets that reported on this story with apparently two sources who both got the date wrong from an email they read. We're going to get more into this. I'm going to bring John on. John, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Each and every day, John and I host the show, the Hagman Daily Show, 12 to 1 on Blog Talk Radio Live, also 2 to 3 on Global Star. But now, uh, for the first time in a few months, you're back doing the Hagman Report. 
Well, Joe, thank you so much for having me, and it's always such a treat to uh, sub in for Doug Hagman, who's working on some pretty uh, serious investigative uh, reports and really pulling some research together that Doug's been dealing with for quite some time, and we're going to get into some of that this evening with our Hour 2 guest, uh, return guest, Jake Morphonios, who really hit it out of the park last week, Joe, with his uh, insights and analysis into Las Vegas. And, you know, here we are over two months out of the biggest mass casualty event in U.S. history, and still all questions, no answers, Joe. Yeah, well, again, his his YouTube channel, End Times News Report, has videos since he was on, uh, a number of videos dealing with Las Vegas and his investigations into Las Vegas, such as uh, a company called Tiger Swan. He he gets into that, and uh, he also gets into um, a lot of the updates. And interesting, I want him to get into uh, this kind of ties into a story we're going to be talking about YouTube hiring more of their uh, more personnel to sift through content and determine what is extremist content on the video that he did that Jake Morphonius did one of the latest videos current leads in Las Vegas shooting investigation well in this video on YouTube he has said that the comments that have been posted by viewers on this video have been being hidden by YouTube and they're not allowing those comments to be shown so I wonder if there's something in there I'm going to have him talk about that but John we talked about this earlier on the Daily Show YouTube to hire you said to have 10,000 people on staff to deal with what is and what is not extremist content is that 10,000 new people? Uh, yes, this according to uh, the CEO of or the president rather of uh, of Google and her name is Susan, and I struggle with her last name. It's a Scandinavian last name. I believe it's Miloki or Mazoki. And the forgive CEO. me for the mispronunciation of the last name. It, it really is a bear. Uh, but yeah, this from thehill.com, and we reported again on this earlier today on the Hagman Daily Show. 10,000 new employees to sift through uh, inappropriate content, um, vexatious content. And the part that really bothered me, Joe, is potentially violent content. And, you know, with what we're seeing today from the secular progressive, the Luciferian left, uh, it seems that our team is getting a lot more content censorship than they are. Oh, absolutely it is. And uh, that's just, you know, when you see the, the amount of bias that are in is in the top levels in, in all of media, in entertainment world and politics, it's no surprise that you're going to see these social media giants be right along those same lines and they have these ultra progressive ideologies and that's going to transfer over to content they're going to start and we've seen them do this already to so many on the conservative side to demonetize and and stop the ability of uh, these people to be able to broadcast live if you get one strike on your youtube channel you are actually uh, punished or put in a timeout to where you're not allowed to do any live streams until a certain period of time has, I think it's 90 days, until 90 days has uh, progressed, and then you get, you're given your live stream privileges back. Thankfully, that's not happened to us here, but it could happen at any day. Then what? Then we'd have to go back to the audio format and find a new video format in the time being. Well, with the new round of hires, it's going to be, be very possible that regular content that just has a, an opposing view other than that you know ultra progressive ideology that will be banned that could be censored we've already been demonetized on youtube along with thousands of other 
uh, conservative Christian leaning people and personalities. And that trend is only going to continue with the more people that they hire. And we're going to, I would like to talk with, uh, you know, uh, both Alicia Powell and Peter Chaka on this because they're both journalists and they see this censorship and its effect it has on journalists and, and news outlets. So we have to find ways to move outside of that YouTube platform to be able to create revenue because, you know, people are in news organizations. They're not going to do this for free, you know, um, and, and all the voices out there. YouTube was, was a way to kind of uh, help you get that monthly income that you needed to, uh, stay, stay relevant. And with that taken away, it has left a lot of people scrambling and they're wondering, you know, how can we uh, generate revenue like we were getting from YouTube? So it's put a lot of people back and thank, thankfully, uh, for us, you know, we have people who, who donate to us. We have the Patreon set up, which is an awesome tool. I think that's, that's fantastic. And we have to continue to look for other ways to branch out so we don't get caught up when YouTube makes a decision that it's not going to affect our, our whole operation and, and make us change the way we do things. We should already be planning, finding other ways to generate that revenue. So, um, and that's, that starts when, John? Is that in January of 2018? Yes, it's going to begin uh, full throttle in January here in 2018. And, you know, Joe, while I was listening to you speak, it got me thinking about the term black hole. You may recall that about six months ago, uh, Mike Adams, the health ranger, uh, went on record saying that over 140,000 of his pieces, various reports, had been black holed uh, in the whole Google search engine Yeah, he landscape. got censored. He uh, did. His website got censored. And in producing the show day in and day out, you know, obviously we use all of these platforms regularly. And I've noticed lately, and Joe, I'd like to get your opinion on this, that you can type in the simplest, you know, top of drudge news item into Google. Google seems to be the worst of the three. And often items that have no relevance to what you just typed in whatsoever come up. You have to mm-hmm. get six, eight pages deep to find what you're looking for. And if anything does come up, it's always Salon or Huffington Post or Politico. Uh, it's, you know, they bury Infowars or the Health Ranger or Caravan to Midnight, True News, what have you. They bury these uh, reports, these articles, a good six, eight pages deep, Joe. Yeah, and uh, we, you know, that's a, a huge problem. And there are awesome alternative search engines out there that are really uh, starting to rival Google and there I remember the and I think Google's reinstalled some of these but the analytics you used to be able to to search in real times about certain things and, and see the numbers of, of what's trending and what's not and uh, they they removed access to those for a while but I think some of them are starting to find their way back but there are great alternatives out there uh, to Google that we don't have to use the Google YouTube, you know, conglomerate that, that it is. Um, and I'll, you know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get a list of about five alternative search engines because I don't know all of them off the top of my head that people use in, uh, in, in, instead of Google that are very effective. And I'll, I'll get that list out, uh, hopefully by tomorrow because I've seen some good alternatives and there's a few new ones that have just come out. Uh, browsers that are and search engines that are uh, really handy and and make it much more user friendly than we've seen with with Google. I want to kind of switch gears here. I want to talk about Donald Trump real quick. We have some interesting news both on the Mueller investigation and then in something that we said was going to happen that the press is now doing. On the front of Drudge, there is articles talking about 
were the the direction of the uh, investigation into Mueller's investigation into Trump is headed. And this is from NBC News, and there's a few other similar articles out there. Focus on Flynn Trump timeline suggests obstruction is on Mueller's mind. This article goes on to detail that the Mueller investigation is focusing on a critical 18-day period that began when senior officials were told that Michael Flynn was susceptible to blackmail by Russia. The questions about what happened start January 26th to Flynn's firing on February 13th, Those that 18-day period in there. They say that it appears to relate to possible obstruction of justice by President Trump, say two people familiar with Mueller's investigation into Russia's meddling and potential collusion with the Trump campaign. I almost laughed when I read that last sentence here. It's been so long, and they continue to, you know, push this narrative that Russia meddled in the election either through, you know, manipulation of news or uh, by getting people on the Trump campaign involved with their with their cause and agenda. But you know, this just shows the lack of any real Russia collusion evidence, because what they're doing now, if this reporting is true, which we have no reason to assume it is. Again, this is by anonymous sources, and um, we've seen, you know, uh, from people close to Mueller, we've seen reports like this in the past that have not been accurate. But if this article is accurate, it tells me that there's nothing there, as we have been saying and as we suspected, on Trump-Russia collusion. So what they're doing is going back and trying to say, well, where can we point an obstruction of justice charge on Trump? How can we... Uh, you know, make this stick. Are they going to use the Comey firing from the FBI? Or now it looks like they're examining another possible angle, which is the 18-day period after the the White House learned that Trump could be susceptible to blackmail by Russia till the day he fired him. So they're fishing, and I don't. I do believe if if Mueller tries to throw an obstruction charge on Trump, it's not going to stick. It won't go anywhere. I could be wrong. But if that's what they're, if that's what this invest, investigation is reduced to, then they are, they are fishing. They are, um, scraping the bottom of the barrel. John, what do you think about the Mueller investigation? Well, it's, it's hard to know what to think. My, my thoughts shift a little bit every day. Um, but one thing, if you sort of pull the camera lens back that is of great concern to me, and Joe, we've talked about this on the Daily Show, is that the entire fake stream media narrative, this whole Russian collusion thing that's been with us for the majority of President Trump's tenure as we enter the conclusion of his first year as president, is robbing our country of one of the primary pillars of strength that we have garnered much of our our global power and our leadership uh, skills from, really, over the last century. And that's the, the market of free ideas. The way this is supposed to work is the the right, the political right, if you will, has a certain ideology, a certain agenda, etc. The left has typically a very opposing agenda. And then we're supposed to, in the market of free ideas, take these ideas to the public. And in a representative republic, through a democratic process, we're supposed to arrive at comfortable mediums that make us a stronger country. And what concerns me with all of this fake news, with all of the the time and attention spent on this special counsel, is we've lost that huge capability that, in fact, makes us a stronger country. What do you think? 
I'll meet myself there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes and no. Um, the political ideology... See, this to me, this Mueller investigation is just feeding that divide, that, um, that alternative reality and ideology that we have um, between, you know, the left and the right in this country, and it's just trying to continue to really keep hopes alive that Trump's election win was some kind of fluke and it's going to be reversed. I mean, we talked about this earlier on our Daily Show that with these mistakes and, and CNN having to walk back these articles that it seems, and we know this to be true, that the news media is more focused on, on trying to, to nail Trump, you know, I gotcha, than they are on verifying their facts to get him out of office. They wanted to make him look as stupid as possible. An example of that is today when we have this uh, terror attack in New York City, this attempted terror attack, which we're going to get into, you have on uh, an interesting story on Newsbusters that details uh, what CNN was doing as that terror attack or attempted terror attack was unfolding. And it's gotten a lot of some traction in the media that the CNN, an hour into the, uh, an hour after the attempted terror attack in New York City, is reporting on CNN, on Donald Trump, and his consumption of Diet Coke and TV habits. This from Newsbusters, and, and, and this is funny. An I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> an unfolding terror attack in New York City wasn't enough to derail CNN's obsession with Donald Trump. Forty minutes after the attempted suicide bomber attempted to murder people with a bomb, New Day journalists lost interest. Co-host Allison Camaretta and others had more important topics. Trump's appreciation of Diet Coke. The journalist broke in with a devastating story. We now have breaking news. Emergency crews in New York City, uh, they're responding to some type of possible explosion. Anyway, they went from there. We do have more information about President Trump's habits inside the White House. Then they went on to detail his saying he drinks a, a, a case of Diet Coke a day, 12 Diet Cokes a day, as well as watching eight hours of TV a day. And obviously that reporting in itself is pretty funny. It's reminiscent of the two scoops of ice cream. You know, uh, and anything else that these people want to try to nail Trump with the tax returns, that's probably going to make its way back in the news here. Uh, but anyway, they got some, some pushback from their listeners and, uh, other media analysts on Twitter as this was going on. And it, if you read some of the comments as I like to do on Twitter, it's really funny some of the stuff that, that you see people, um, sending to CNN. But again, I mean, this is not news. His his habits, regardless if that's true or not, which I hope it's not. I hope he's not drinking 12 Diet Cokes a day. But it's not news. And we see, you know, just the constant uh, disrespecting of Donald Trump, the attempt to slander and marginalize him in the press. And I guess I don't know why we keep continue to cover it. It's not surprising. It's not original at this point. I guess it's just astonishing to see that the lengths they will go and we saw it speaking of the White House and, and the press, how many people saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Jim Acosta go at it today. Jim Acosta started to ask questions to Sanders about the Trump accusers. And we're going to talk about this also because this is an important story. I think this is half the reason the media was, you know, so gung ho about these sexual assault allegations because at some point they knew that they were going to bring them back around to Trump. And we talked about that on this show in the past, and they're doing just that. But today, um, Jim Acosta was asking Sarah Sanders a question about those accusers and if, uh, you know, they, 
she be- he believes that you know we're going to see the rehashing of this and and should Trump face some sort of ethics investigation and Sarah Sanders uh says I'm not finished yet and and really puts uh, Acosta back but he was getting real disrespectful and speaking of Sarah Sanders how many people saw the Chelsea Handler uh, I don't know what he, I didn't even see it I saw the a headline and a picture of it did she do a video mocking Sarah Sanders because I, like I said, I only saw the headline, but it looked like it. That's what it was. I believe. I believe she did too. Uh, yes, she did. Okay. And you know, when we look at the, just to switch gears a little bit here, Joe, when we look at the the geopolitical uh, points of conflagration around the globe right now, uh, we reported last week that there were quite a few reports that China had inserted uh, uh, spec ops troops into Syria. So we now have the three uh, global superpowers in Syria. In, Iran's in a, pulling out. And according I, you know, to I read that. Yes, indeed, Iran is um, or Russia is pulling out. Russia's pulling out, and uh, probably probably the best idea, really. And of course, we don't really admit uh, that we have assets on the ground in Syria, but of course we do. And then North Korea has taken a little bit of a back seat the last three or four days to what I call allegation gate. Uh, the other day, of course, we saw Corey Feldman uh, was in the top of the news again with the tape that he made with the Los Angeles Police Department surfacing, uh, going all the way back to 1993. My point is, these small domestic stories, and, and not to take away anything from Corey Feldman, I'm in his corner 100%, but I think that the the mainstream media is, is adjusting, uh, massaging the narrative to distract us from some of the most important situations that we face right now as a country. Joe, you know as well as I do, this situation with North Korea is very serious. Having uh, successfully fired a missile early last week all the way up into the atmosphere, a missile that General Mattis went on record noting could potentially hit anywhere in the continental United States, provided that the trajectory were flatter. It was less of a ballistic flight and more of a flat trajectory. And the missile, in fact, landed in Japan's economic zone. And yet today, we see nothing about this uh, in the mainstream media. There's really nothing on Drudge either. And, uh, of course, Syria remains a point of concern. So I think that, uh, again, to go back to this idea of, of the market of free ideas, the way we've traditionally been as a country, we would have the right... Uh, through our commander-in-chief, the chief executive, President Donald Trump, uh, stating our agenda, our goals uh, for the next year of his administration, etc. The left, of course, would generally have a more mm, socially and maybe economically conscious uh, approach to how we spend money, how we allocate our resources, etc. But what's happened is we have a complete shutdown of that dialogue right now. We have the DNC, one of the two primary parties in this country, fashioning all of this fake news, all of these these allegations, many of which, most of which, really have no there there, and so they're not keeping up their end of the dialogue. And at the same time, the mainstream media is criminally complicit in amplifying all of this fake stream media, plastic head garbage news, Joe. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, the, this... Uh CNN, Trump's Diet Coke habits, network wines, President a bully tormenting kids, and then we covered that walking back another bombshell. The uh, the divide in this country is the the ideological divide is terrible. And with the tomorrow the special election in Alabama with Roy Moore, it is going to get interesting because you know if Roy Moore wins, we've already heard in the Senate that they're going to 
launch, you know, ethics investigations against him. As soon as he's seated, he's going to be on the hot seat. I mean, the hot seat because they're going to they're going to move to impeach him. And if Roy Moore doesn't win, they are going to use that as a, a referendum on the Trump agenda, saying, "Oh, even Alabama um, is not voting in a Republican." Wait till the 2018 elections. You know, you're going to have a Democratic landslide. Trump and his popularity. That's what they're going to make this out to. Even though they've already poisoned the mind of all the voters with their allegations, and at this point it doesn't even matter if they're true or not. We saw the uh, Nielsen lady walk back that she did add some of the writing to the yearbook, the date and the location apparently, which she did attribute all of that to Roy Moore. So you have an issue of credibility with the witnesses. But tomorrow is the special election, and it will be interesting to see what happens in that election uh, and moving forward. There's two polls out today, one from Fox News and one from Rasmussen. They're a huge swing of difference. One has Doug Jones up by 10. The other has Roy Moore up by 9. So we'll see how that turns out in just about 24 hours, 24, 26 hours. Another question, should Trump resign over allegations of sexual abuse? We warned you about this a few weeks ago, that this was going to be coming back around to to get Trump. And sure enough, it is. And the most predictable move uh, in recent weeks, Democrats have turned from forcing Senator Al Franken off a political cliff to pressuring President Trump to step down from office. They're bringing back his old accusers, the people that accused him before the election of anything from, you know, unwanted kisses and sexual harassment. Then they're calling him a sexual predator. Now, we know that these accusers came out before the election and the people still decided to vote for Donald Trump. So I don't really see the benefit of trying to bring it back uh, now because I don't see any any different outcome. But, hey, they can't find anything else to bring down Donald Trump. Let's try something we tried before. They're, they're just recycling old ideas at this point. We're going to be back after this short break. Portions of our program tonight is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks, use the promo code HH. More on that later. Uh, when we come back, we've got another half hour of news. We're going to hit immediately the attempted terror attack in New York City and all the details there, as well as other important news and current event information. You're listening to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. We'll be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. This Monday edition of the Hagman Report, we got a lot we're going to get into this half hour, and we are going to start with what happened in New York City today. We have the attempted terror attack as a pipe bomb detonated made of Christmas lights, sugar, and match heads in New York City subway tunnel. We're also going to talk about the California wildfires as well as the Pentagon announcing that they're defying 
Trump's transgender ban in the military, and we're going to have the details on that shortly, but we're going to bring you quick uh, a word from one of our sponsors. Speaking of gifts, give the gift of a box of steaks, or give it to yourself. You know, my wife just loves to get Omaha Steaks, omahasteaks.com is the place to go. Instead of going out in the snow, you know, when, when it's up to your hips, have it, have your meat delivered to you. Or, or, or have, if you, if you can't think of a gift for that, that someone, that special someone, perhaps a boss even, this is a perfect gift for someone who has it all. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for under $50, for $49.99, you can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. Folks, that's 75% off. And they've got over 500 gourmet gift ideas. They've got great ex- steak experiences at home. They offer, they offer the most flavorful tender aged beef. They've got, um, and, and so many other, other gourmet items. You can spend all day long at omahasteaks.com. But again, don't forget to put HH in the search bar. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving you, our listeners and viewers, an exclusive savings just to you. Listen to everything you'll get for under $50 very quickly. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, and they're fantastic. Uh, everything's fantastic. Four steak burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, which uh, I know Eric the Tech and John, they fight over all the time, and i got to break them up. And, of course, the Omaha Steak Seasoning Packet and four kielbasa sausages, plus you'll also get extra four free kielbasa sausages by ordering this pack. When you go to omahasteaks.com, enter our code HH in the search bar, you'll get a 75% savings. All that, all of that for just forty nine ninety nine. omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. You can't beat that. And that makes, again, it makes a great gift. All right, we have information on the attempted terror attack that happened in New York City today. Bangladeshi taxi driver intentionally detonated his pipe bomb made of Christmas light sugar and match heads in New York City subway tunnel in protest over Christmas posters on the wall as well as apparently he had issue with President Trump's announcement recognizing Jerusalem as Israeli's capital. The pipe bomb prematurely went off in an underground tunnel linking the Times Square subway station to Port Authority a bus terminal on Monday morning around 7.20 a.m. The suspect was an unmarried 27-year-old green card holder named Akade Ula. Ula came to the U.S. seven years ago from Bangladesh on a U.S. visa from people who have family in the U.S. This is what's called chain immigration, and I've been hearing a lot about that in the news recently, even before this incident happened, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what that is as uh, people are looking at whether it should be stopped. CNN reports that the bomb detonated prematurely if it had gone off. As intended, the damage could have been catastrophic. It was said that the explosives were made by this man himself. After reading instructions on the Internet, the FBI has been swarming multiple addresses connected to ULA in Brooklyn. And this is an interesting part of this. Neighbors say they had heard yelling and screaming coming from the apartment his apartment the last two nights and that this man was not a friendly person now he survived if he's there's a video out there you can see where he's walking down this corridor and and really uh for being such a crowded city nobody's that close to him maybe three feet away uh at the closest and this thing detonates while it's strapped to his chest and he falls down he suffered some some burns but he has been talking to investigators in the hospital 
and he says uh, that the reason, one of the reasons he told investigators that he carried out the attack was revenge for recent actions by Israelis against Muslims in the in the Palestinian Gaza Strip. That, according to this Daily Mail report, now I want to know. Uh, it says he was arguing with somebody in his house the last two evenings. Was it family? Was it a girlfriend? They say he wasn't married, and that. The headline in this article says that he went out and did this because he was angry about Christmas posters on the wall. Now, I find that hard to believe. We've seen this war on Christmas for so long, and, you know, anything that says Merry Christmas, even in schools and public, is now being said to to change it to Happy Holidays. We've seen this battle on and on for years. So I have a hard time um, wrapping my head around Christmas posters setting this man off to where he wanted to create a terror attack. But it's being attributed to ISIS. ISIS published Times Square, New York City, as a major target, one of the targets that you know they want to focus on most, and that this is going to be an ongoing threat throughout Christmas. And that's another headline on Drudge. ISIS targets Christmas. Port Authority bomber was inspired by ISIS Christmas attacks, according to officials. Jump in here, John. And, well, uh, clearly, clearly, Joe, this man was triggered. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, so there's some holes in the story here. This man comes from Bangladesh. It's being reported seven years ago. And he comes to a, uh, Western Christendom country and is then triggered by Christmas posters. Uh, I wonder if he watched okay. the Benghazi video before, uh, this, <laughs> yeah. this went down. Well, this is what the New York Times says. He chose the location because of its Christmas themed posters. Recalling strikes in Europe against Christmas markets. He told investigators, and set off his bomb in retaliation for U.S. airstrikes on ISIS targets in Syria and elsewhere. I mean, how many things is this guy going to... Are, are they going to report that this guy attributed it to? It's Christmas posters. It's uh, the U.S. bombing ISIS in Syria. It's Trump's decision on Jerusalem. It's, you know, CNN's Diet Coke reporting. I mean, what well, is not it? Well, not only that, but he had to go to several stores to purchase all of the match heads, Christmas lights, and what, what else was it that he used? <laughs> Christmas so, lights, match heads. Um, let's see. what else? There was one more thing here. Disturbed individual. Uh, Joe, while you search for that, let's talk a little bit about chain migration. Uh, there are a sure. couple of subsidiary stories here that will uh, percolate out of this uh unfortunate situation that occurred uh, uh, in the Port Authority in New York City. Thankfully, there were no fatalities. The perpetrator uh, blew himself up. He, he he detonated early, apparently, with his ad hoc pipe bomb that was full of uh, Christmas cheer. And uh, so that's kind of a good news, bad news situation. Uh, sir, the good news is you're alive. The bad news is you're going to go to jail for a long time. Uh, but chain migration. Uh, basically, I want to give some numbers to our listeners and viewers. Now, this is from NumbersUSA.com, and they, they appear to be, this is a new website for me, but they appear to be an advocacy group for proper immigration policy in the United States. Now, it says here again, NumbersUSA.com, that the primary mechanism that's caused legal immigration in the U.S. to quadruple from 250,000 in the late 1950s and through the 1960s to upward of 1 million annually since 1990 is this uh, chain migration. And basically the way it works, Joe, and I think many of our listeners and viewers understand this, but chain migration starts with a single individual coming from any country on the planet, save for a, a very uh, short list of a few. And they come over, they are able to gain uh, legal entry into the country, they get a green card, or they become a citizen, and then that 
uh, qualifies them to begin bringing over members of their nuclear family. That more or less makes sense uh, to a degree, depending on how liberal your stance on immigration is. But that's where the chain begins. Then what happens is as the different members, Joe, of the nuclear family come over, they are then able to begin bringing members of their nuclear family over. And, so and you friends. can see how this, how this explodes. And, and something I find troubling, again, at numbersusa.com, is that it says a million annually since the 19th. 19- we know that we're getting far more immigrants than that every year. I think that number is probably really conservative. And it just makes one wonder how many people are coming in through the shipping containers at San Pedro, at the Port of Oakland on the West Coast, New York, you know, et cetera, on the East Coast. How many people are coming in through the Great Lakes from Canada? How many people are coming in over the porous southern border? And these are serious concerns. And the other thing I just want to state as kind of a personal note quickly is, it troubles me how this person comes over from Bangladesh. Now, I've never been to Bangladesh, but it's definitely a developing country, to say the least. He benefits from a job here. He gets a job driving a taxi. Not an easy job to get in a major metropolitan area. He has an apartment. He's apparently triggered by Christmas. Uh, he left a Muslim country and came to a Christian country. And with everything this country's done for him, the way he pays us back is to strap an ad hoc bomb to his belly and try to kill innocent Americans. Joe? Yeah, and it's, um, you know, it's one of, uh, you know, the many that we've seen this year in New York City. We, we saw, even going back to the Times Square bombing, that was unsuccessful, where a man had uh, a bunch of gasoline and bombs rigged up in a car where he tried to detonate it on the side of the road in Times Square, uh, unsuccessful. We've had the car bike attack earlier, uh, this, and just a few months ago. And there are many more examples of this. And a New York City official, I don't have the information of who he was in front of, in front of me, says this is the new normal. And New York City is, you know, probably one of the, the most prized targets, especially after the World Trade Center, for terrorists, uh, for terrorists in, to come here and, and want to do something there. And, uh, this is something that, you know, how can you defend against this? What's the answer? Is more surveillance, better vetting. Well, one thing is, you know, you can stop policies like this chain migration and, uh, you know, just this unquestioned, unvetted immigration that we see here in this country that the left has been fighting for. As we see, uh, the government was not shut down because a, a deal was made, but, you know, we're going to be facing the government shutdown again in a few weeks. And I've seen reports that the left is wanting to hold out until, you know, DACA is reinstituted, which if they're trying to hold the government shutdown hostage over letting illegal aliens to come into this country, then, you know, that's obviously a huge problem. But that just shows you where this battle is at. But thankfully, we, uh, the, the, the bomb detonated prematurely. Nobody was killed and it was relatively, uh, a miracle probably that this happened the way it did and nobody else was hurt and thank god for that but something we're going to be talking about throughout this holiday season i suspect as well as into the future uh you know this is always a threat and these things are going to continue to happen let's just hope that law enforcement personnel and others you know have their their eye on the prize here and are able to foil these but with the lone wolves it is really hard to be able to um if he's not communicating with anybody how do you foil a plot that only the one man knows about it's basically impossible unless something like this happens we're fortunate 
he was not skilled a skilled bomb maker. Otherwise, the results could be much different today. You know, Joe, let's take a look at uh, what President Trump had to say today. Now, keep in mind, listeners and viewers, this is reported uh, at Time.com. But uh, President Donald Trump said of Monday's attack on New York City's Port Authority bus terminal was the result of lax immigration system that, quote, allows far too many dangerous, inadequately vetted people to access our country, end quote. The president went on to say, quote, the terrible harm that this flawed system inflicts on America's security and economy has long been clear. I am determined to improve our immigration system and put our country and our people first, end quote. Uh, I'll give the listeners and viewers one more short piece. President Trump said that his travel ban for residents of six Muslim-majority countries, which the Supreme Court recently allowed enforcement of in full, was, quote, one step forward in securing our immigration system, end quote. Joe, let me ask you, uh, we reported on this a little bit last week, but it we had so much going on, the news has just been so insane. Uh, the Supreme Court last week, they actually went ahead and upheld President Trump's, what they're calling a travel ban, I would call it reasonable vetting. Uh, you want to give us a little background on that, Joe, contextualize a little bit? Well, the original travel ban was supposed to, supposed to be a temporary 90-day ban on six Muslim-majority nations that was they were supposed to have the temporary ban in order to place in much tougher and more thorough vetting procedures. And once it was issued as an executive order, it was um, you you had judges from in Hawaii and California saying it's not valid, and and you have the lawsuits. But they did um, side with Trump, I believe, on the on the on the travel ban. Ultimately, did they not? Uh, yes, they did. And and again, this is from Time dot com. Uh, Let's see, it says, uh, Trump said that his travel ban for residents of six Muslim-majority countries, which the Supreme Court recently allowed enforcement of in full. A little bit of a clunky sentence there, uh, but that happened early last week. And it just stupefies me, Joe, because much of, I would say the majority of what President Trump says publicly, it makes sense to me. And I think that if we look back a generation or two, it makes sense to most of our parents and probably the majority of our grandparents. And yet here we are at this place and, and this time where we have such a massive division in this country that that really, honestly, to me, what resonates is just good common sense and basic traditional Americanism triggers half the country and in many cases triggers them to violence and violence perpetrated on completely innocent people. Yeah, and we have an, an example of the the you know great divide. Uh, we saw that Trump issued a ban barring transgenders from entering the military, which makes sense. You have you know so much so many things to consider. You know, first of all, the mental makeup of somebody who goes through one of those you know reassessment surgeries. You have the hormones, and there's just a lot of things to deal with. So, uh, in a in a strange move, the Pentagon basically says. Uh, what they're doing, they they are going against the president's executive order on banning transgenders, and this new policy, uh, the Pentagon is allowing transgender people to enlist in the military beginning January 1st, despite Trump's opposition and executive order. The new policy reflects growing legal pressure on the issue and the difficult hurdles the federal government would have to cross to enforce Trump's demand to ban transgender individuals from the military. Two federal courts have already ruled against the ban. Potential transgender recruits will have to overcome a lengthy and strict 
set of physical, medical, and mental conditions that make it possible, though difficult, for them to join the armed services. How long until, you know, something like this where the, uh, the strict set of conditions are removed deemed to be, you know, too, uh, gender bias? I mean, this is what we're working with here. There was a, uh, in New Zealand, there's a weightlifter who was a man, now had some surgery and is a woman, who is able to lift more weights than in all the competitions than the other women. And he was, he gave an interview that was on the Daily Wire over the weekend, I believe, that talked about how he doesn't believe he has any advantage over the women because they're all, you know, the same sex, according to him. But this is what we're dealing with. And, and to see the Pentagon, I would say, putting other mem- service members in, in jeopardy, um, because again, you have to, you have to consider, you know, the mental and medical, the cost alone that, you know, these people are going to be joining the military. Then from there, allowed and having the military pay for these reassessment surgeries, then paying for the medicine and the hormones and the counseling, that's crazy to me. Um, you know, you can't get into the Army or the Marines if you have, uh, you know, uh, flat feet. There's so much, yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry for not having the, the proper words. I've been having a, a rough time today with, with trying to to articulate what I'm thinking. But yeah, there are so many disqualifying things in the military that you you will not be allowed to join. Uh, anything from a, a dirty urine to the not the right blood pressure to scars in some cases and and past surgery. So to to turn around and for the Pentagon to turn around and do this, it is um, pretty crazy <laughs> to me. But this just shows you, you know, more of the divide. The president, his authority is being usurped each and every day by all agencies inside the government it seems and not only that but many of the you know federal court judges that were bush and obama appointees you it's know, frustrating to watch it, it is frustrating joe and i'd like to do a, a again kind of place some context around this story because this is this is important you know something that you see historically uh from the left versus the right the left tends to fashion the military as a a social experimentation petri dish and that is not what the military is designed for the military is designed to fight and win wars, period. If we do humanitarian missions, I'm, I'm in favor of those. When we send an aircraft carrier, for example, to a disaster zone, we get the desalinization plant going, get some nourishment and blankets and so forth to people. I'm okay with that, and I think most of our listeners and viewers are. But let's take a look at, at two different aspects of this. First of all, when you place any military personnel in country on any mission, be they uh, in the rear with the gear or up on the front lines, What's going to take precedent, Joe? Uh, that person receiving their hormone shipment when you have lim- limited logistic, uh, logistical support or the proper doses of, I don't know, pain medication right. so that soldiers in hospital are taken care of when they have you know battlefield casualties. And uh, in, in looking at the history of this, this is from, uh, you're going to love this well, see, source. This is, this, I don't mean to interrupt you, but before you jump in. <laughs> Maybe this, it's good that you did. <laughs> this, is an, this is an elective thing. It's not like, see, I, w- I wouldn't have a problem if it was a natural this, say there was a soldier who had depression or PTSD or, or some physical uh, issue that they got. Paying for the, the medicine and stuff then, that's fine. But to to have to, to put taxpayers' money, when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about the military, when you're talking about war and who's going into battle, to have to worry about things like that, to have to uh, pay money for the upkeep of that, 
it to me it's absolutely insane and i hope thank god that there's not that many people who are you know becoming transgendered but i mean you talk about setting other soldiers up for failure and creating uh, distrust and disharmony inside the military this is a way to do it for sure but again as i said the the population and people i'm sure are so low that most people won't you know ever see the effects of this but still it's a bad precedent to set for our set for our military for a number of reasons and none of i mean what what's the benefit i guess is the question uh, well the the benefit is there there really is no benefit the social justice warriors and the left writ large can claim some kind of quasi victory but joe uh to go back to that petri dish analogy for a moment we have the first uh we have uh virginia's danica rome who uh, made history Tuesday night by becoming the first openly transgender person elected and seated in a state legislature in the United States. And uh, Danica Rome spoke live with Fox 5 about her journey and what it means to win. So let's take a look at these two different situations. The military, again, is created to fight and win wars. And anything that compromises that intangible but incredibly important element of keeping soldiers, airmen, marines, sailors competent, ready to fight, ready to stand in the gap is morale. And anything, anything that compromises a unit's uh, cohesive fighting capability and morale is a bad idea. Now, Joe, I'll ask you this. Danica Rome, uh, again, being seated uh, in the uh, state legislature in Virginia, uh, do you think this is similar to the military thing, or do you think this is perhaps more permissible since it's not a frontline life-and-death type issue? Um. I'll go with the latter, more more permissible. But you know, again, back back to the the what what the Pentagon is doing here. Now we know that the military has very strict sets of guidelines, and uh, you, you have to, uh, as I said earlier, you can't have health, certain health problems. You have to uh, have a certain, I guess, physical physique and and, and health. You have to be mentally fit you have to be physically fit and they get you into physical shape if you're not so that's not so much of a concern but with something so drastic as a gender altering surgery and the unknown effects that we don't even know people who get these surgeries have one of the things that's underreported in the news is how many people who get the surgery eventually wish that they could go back to the way they were or the suicides that are that happen and we already have so much trouble with PTSD and veterans and the way the military takes care of their soldiers that to me this is just, you know, uh, a huge problem. It could be a huge problem. But it to, what's even bigger problem is it opens the door. Where does this stop? Where does the pandering to a certain uh, set of society end? And, and how how long until, you know... <laughs> We have men running around with, with with flowers in their hands instead of guns and dresses instead of camo, <laughs> singing songs to each other instead of fighting war. This is what my my concern is with it with this. And um, to start with something, I mean, first they they allowed um, you know the, the don't ask, don't tell. Okay, whatever. That's not the same as this. Now they're allowing people who are mutilating themselves through elective surgery and have to have that condition maintained by medicine into the army and you don't know what kind of psychological or physical and those might not be evident right away with with, with the intake test that they have so you know it's Joe, a big question mark there's an interesting uh, point to this as well which is the whole judicial precedent concept uh 
in October, U.S. District Judge Colleen Collar Codley uh, barred the Trump administration from proceeding with its plan to exclude transgendered people from military service. Uh, when we look back in U.S. history, I believe it was President Andrew Jackson who famously said of the um, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court at that time, and forgive me, I don't remember the decision off the top of my head, but I believe it was President Andrew Jackson who famously said, the Chief Justice has made his decision and now let him enforce it. Uh, Joe, President Donald Trump is the chief executive, and he's yep. also the commander-in-chief of our military. When did it become okay for judges from Hawaii and from areas far-flung all over this huge nation to usurp the wishes of the commander-in-chief, particularly when well, they're a, illegal? That's a great question, and I don't know the answer to that. And that's something that we will find out, hopefully, as we are a minute away from break, we can get an answer to during this break. But I don't remember, really, in my lifetime, I don't... I don't remember ever, and maybe it's because I haven't paid that close of attention. I don't ever remember the president issuing an executive order and getting met with the pushback, as you said, the legal pushback, uh, from inside the same government, uh, from judges in different states saying, no, you can't do this, and, and testing the president's authority in these areas. I'm not sure that it has happened before. Maybe it has, but that's something we'll we'll have an answer for you, hopefully, right on the other side of this break. ABC News is reporting that the terrorist suspect in New York City has family has issued a statement, and they, they are heartbroken. The family of the man accused of detonating an explosive in New York City system said that they are heartbroken by the allegations. But what's interesting here is they say that they are also heartbroken by the law enforcement officials who have held children as small as four years old out in the cold and who held a teenager out of high school classes to interrogate him without a lawyer. These are the sorts of actions we expect from our justice system that we don't expect from our justice system, and we're very confident that our justice system will find the truth behind this attack and that we will, in the end, be able to learn what occurred today. It's not clear what children are referred to in this statement, and it is very bizarre. We're going to be back after this with Jake Morphonius. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Jake Morphonius is going to be joining us for part two of an interview that we started with him just a few shows ago. That was really well, and he's got a great YouTube channel, the End Times News Report, that he's been looking hard at Las Vegas and other important issues, and we're going to jump into that uh, part two interview with him in just a moment. Um, a few things. First, we have what we proposed at the beginning or the end of the last hour, the presidential executive orders. Have they been challenged in courts? I found an interesting article, and John's found some interesting information, that uh, this article details what has happened with the Trump presidency, but this says it's historically infrequent when you see executive orders being revoked within the same presidential term, as we've seen this with Trump's immigration order that has been since reversed and put into place. And there are other examples throughout history where, and you gave a great one, John, during the break to me, uh, where we've seen executive orders become revoked or invalidated through other branches of the government. Why don't you get into the example you told me, because that's a good one. I've never heard that before. It is a good one, and it escaped me as well, even though I'm uh, very much a, a student of this uh, era of United States history. 
1933, in his first term, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was facing the, the outset of the Great Depression, uh, jobless numbers through the roof, soup lines in every major metropolitan area, he uh, cooked up the idea that number of Supreme Court justices on the Supreme Court from the traditional nine uh, to 15. And I'd forgotten about that, Joe. And, of course, he wanted to do so so that as the current sitting president, he could pack the House with six more very liberal progressive judges. But the Supreme Court shot that down and said, thank you, but no thank you. The other thing I'd like to mention quickly, and this is just from Wikipedia, but I didn't want to leave it dangling. Uh, it was President Andrew Jackson who uh, famously made that quote about the Supreme Court making their decision. Now let them enforce it. And that was to Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice John Marshall. And the case was Worcester versus Georgia. And without getting too deep in the weeds, it was uh, a case about uh, Native Americans and Native, Native American empowerment on their uh, land versus federal uh, authority on Native American land as well. And it looks like a pretty interesting case. And that was, again, during the... Uh, the uh, presidency of Andrew Jackson, uh, and he also said to John Marshall, uh, quote, John Marshall has made his decision, now let him enforce it, and the decision of the Supreme Court has fell stillborn. Um, so uh, definitely a cantankerous president in Andrew Jackson, and just a little bit of fun history there. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because these executive orders are crafted with legal teams and advisors, so they look at the law, they look at different things, um, when they when they uh, put them out, they believe that they're going to be upheld. And this article from Heritage says it makes an example of one of President Clinton's executive orders that the uh, president's authority to issue sub- such directives uh, was struck down by one of the courts reacting to the validity of uh, one of the directives that Bill Clinton issued. So I didn't know that. I guess it for for. Most presidents, you're going to get some pushback to the executive orders, and sometimes they will strike them down. With that, we have our guest with us, uh, Jake Morphonius. He is the head of the YouTube channel, the End Times News Report, and he's done a great job in a number of investigations. Specifically, what I've been focused on in his reporting is the continuous coverage on Las Vegas. And we had Jake on uh, just, what, last week or a few weeks ago, and it was a great interview, so we're going to do this again. Jake, welcome back to the show. Hey, very good to be back with you. Well, it's great to have you. I've seen you've, putting out, you've put out since uh, the last time you were on a number of interesting videos, uh, one dealing with the uh, Jerusalem issue, and then you have a, a number of issues on Las Vegas. I want to open with asking you this. I see you sure. had some issue on YouTube with some of your comments or the comments of users to your uh, video being censored? What happened with that? Uh, which, which video? I have so much censorship going on. Current leads in Las Vegas shooting investigation. Over 100 comments were posted by viewers on this video. but on, I, This is on, yeah. on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you can see a whole lot of different viewers are posting comments saying, why are my comments showing up? For the first hour that that video went up, YouTube, even though everything was supposed to be public, they held everybody's comments on that. Um, tons of people were leaving comments. I tried it myself. I actually uh, did a screen capture of me trying to leave a comment on my own channel, let you leave a comment, but then everything would disappear. So there are, um, I don't even know what the comments were that 
that are gone, but YouTube hid them, uh, even from me, so we can't see them. How much, uh, you said you, that you, you deal with a lot of censorship issues. What are some of the other things that you come across on, on YouTube? And I'm sure some of our stories are similar. The demonetization, the, uh, attempted copyright infringements that sometimes have no, no basis in reality. Um, what else have they, have been doing with your videos? Well, it's, it's just a, a nonstop thing. My, my first channel back in 2014, I used to do work on clandestine CIA operations, mostly things going on in Ukraine and Syria. That one in the space of about 48 hours, uh, they just hit me. Bam, 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 bam with a bunch of strikes all at once before I could respond or appeal or do anything and just took the whole channel down. This one, they have done something similar. They didn't do them so compact, but I got, uh, as I started doing the Las Vegas investigation, got a couple strikes. Uh, one was big enough that, uh, USA Today, uh, got in touch with me to get, uh, my comment on it. Because I was talking about the Vegas investigation. Nothing, nothing at all. I'm very familiar with what YouTube's community standards are, and I abide by them. It's their platform, their rules, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll abide by it. Uh, but I knew that nothing in my video was contrary. The problem was that I was getting more views than CNN, um, Fox News, MSNBC, all the mainstream media outlets. I mean, we were getting millions of views on one video in particular, and so they couldn't shut it up, so they just deleted it and um, gave me a community standard strike. So that had been mentioned by Wall Street Journal that that happened, but they were kind of ambivalent. They didn't really see it as a you know, one way or another, because I'm fake news to the Wall Street Journal. But USA Today picked up on it, and I guess they had been already working on a piece. BuzzFeed News also contacted me about it. Um, and word got out, and so without any explanation, YouTube reinstated that video. Uh, the video, though, again, when you have millions of monetized views, and that video, I don't know why, but that one had been monetized. Most of my videos are are demonetized. That one, though, had millions of views before they pulled it. So when they ended up about a week later restoring that video and removing the strike, they left out one thing, and that was restoring the income I would have earned from it. And so I'm in an ongoing dispute. It's been a couple months now uh, trying to get them to deal with that. But it's just outright they do blacklist certain channels. Uh, They'll suppress content. Uh, Anything controversial. Of course, it is difficult, but you mentioned that Israel interview, uh, video I did a couple of days ago. It was just talking about the, you know, the, uh, the controversial issue of, of uh, President Trump acknowledging Jerusalem as the, uh, capital. And so all I'm doing is what we're doing here. I just talk. And YouTube put a, uh, an adult restriction on it that no one under 18 years old can see that content, you know, because we don't want teenagers learning to think for themselves and, hearing different sides of an issue. So it's just, it's constant. And in my channel, I've got about 115,000 subscribers. And in the first 24 hours, I'm lucky to get 2,000 views on a video uh, these days. It's, it's just, they blacklist mm-hmm. so that my, not even, in fact, when you look uh, at your internal analytics on YouTube, you can kind of see your, um, who's viewing, what the audiences are, where it, it is, of the total views that I do get, less than a quarter of them come from my own subscribers because my own subscribers 
don't see. They don't get any notifications. My videos don't get put in their feeds. So it's YouTube's a monopoly. So they they get to do what they want. It seems. Yeah, that's very true. And we've been dealing, you know, as any Christian or conservative outlet on YouTube has been dealing with the same issues that you just outlined. Real quick, and then we can jump into uh, some more news. I want to ask you, do you have any uh, positive or close alternatives to YouTube that you would use if that ever had to, if you ever had to make that switch? Well, I had been trying to build up a presence on VidMe, uh, and then we just found out, uh, VidMe announced a couple of weeks ago, actually a couple of days back, that they are shutting down as of tomorrow. So it's back to square one. VidMe is no longer going to be a, a viable option. So the next thing I'm looking at is you, you can't upload directly to Steemit, but you can, I guess, cross-reference over to it, post the links. But as far as the next platform that I try on, it, it's going to be um, BitChute. Uh, I'm getting that started now. It's just, it's hard to find a place that can host, you know, these videos, this, this volume. I've got, you know, 1,500 videos. Uh, a place that's willing to host it without charging you uh, a lot of money and not not censoring. That's the next thing. Is there are some other platforms out there where you can you can post videos to Facebook if you want, but that doesn't mean that they'll be seen. It, the problem is finding some place that's two things. One that's open enough to letting you say what you want without trying to censor you, and the other thing is it not being too seedy because of course when there's unrestricted ability to post, you do get some content that uh, people are going to avoid. Um, so so that's that's the challenge. I'm going to give it a shot with BitChute. Okay. Interesting. Hey, uh, Jake. John Robertson filling in this evening for Doug Hagman. Hey, it's, John. It's great to, uh, to work with you. I know we had a, a, a great conversation offline last week, uh, and I don't mind telling you I was furiously scribbling notes uh, as you and I really kind of bounced all over the news cycle. Uh, the landscape last week and thank you yeah. again for such a, a great part one with us and and I'll share this with the listeners and viewers before we jump in it's very rare I will do this but I was so enthralled with Jake's uh, first visit with us that what was it Jake about five minutes after you went off air you got a text from me saying you know how about December 11th you know let's yeah. get, let's get yeah. you back in right away for uh we can cover whatever you like this evening but certainly to to extrapolate a bit more uh, you were just starting to cook on the whole Las Vegas thing now Jake I'll I'll make this statement and I'll I'll pass it back to you and perhaps we can ease into uh some of the big questions that uh are certainly on your YouTube channel as well as your Twitter feed and our listeners and viewers can follow Jake uh, on Twitter at morphonius that's at m o r p h o n i o s Great Twitter feed. We all follow Jake. Jake, we are clearly, to borrow from Alex Jones, we are in an information war here. We're in an info war. And ever since the new media Trojan horsed the fake stream media with the election of President Donald Trump, it's payback time. And that's what we're all suffering to one degree or another. And we're suffering in the, in the free market of ideas. If we cannot present our, our investigative findings, if we can't bring our reports, and uh, and bring this information to the public, then we don't really lose in the court of public opinion. We're not in the uh, right. court of public opinion. And when we look at something like Las Vegas, it's been about two and a half months now, Jake, the biggest mass casualty event in U.S. history. We all agree on that. 
And the part that really just shakes me to my core is that the American public as a whole, not everyone, certainly not our viewers and listeners and not yours either, uh, they just blindly accepted the idea that the investigative findings would be no investigative findings. And, uh, yeah. you know, you have just been, a, you've been tenacious, you've been a bulldog doing what I like to call frontline reporting. Uh, what I mean by that, the listeners and viewers, is Jake Morphonius, uh, in Times News Report, does not parrot other investigative journalists, citizen journalists. He gets on the phone, he gets in the car, he goes out and gets first person, single source information from people who were there. And that's one of the reasons we appreciate you so much. So, Jake, let's segue into Las Vegas. Let's push back a little bit in this info war tonight. Uh, Tiger Swan. Uh, let's just jump right in the deep end. Tiger Swan, you've got an appeal out to uh, your followers on Twitter as well as uh, uh, front and center on your YouTube channel. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Tiger Swan. What is it and how does it play in? I'm just going to pass it to you and, and let's roll. All right. Sure. Thanks, John. Uh, so we we have established this much. We do have very good reason to believe from multiple I mean, many witnesses. I, I have personally spoken with, I'd say, seven or eight people now who have said uh, they they would bet their lives on it that there were multiple gunmen. Um, the question is, wh- who was it? Who were these mercenaries? Was it an outfit that was domestic? Was it, you know, Saudi intelligence that came in? Who who were these mercenaries involved? And in? so we're we're trying to find that out. Based on a look at all these breadcrumbs that that were left, and it's it's tough. It's not easy. There's no smoking gun. So we we look at these different things. Now I'll say I I speaking of breadcrumbs, someone sent me something that was unusual. It stood out. I get tips all day long, every day from from viewers, from other people that follow. A lot of them are things I already know or I've already looked at, a lot of repetition, people maybe coming across something that I had discussed previously for the first time themselves. But every now and then I get something that just drops my jaw because it's something brand new and there is meat to it. So I got some information earlier today uh, about Tiger Swan. Tiger Swan is, there. There, if anyone knows what Blackwater is, Tiger Swan is essentially the same thing. Uh, Blackwater was based in uh, out on the coast of North Carolina, kind of just below uh, Norfolk, Virginia, out in the swamplands out there, uh, out east. Uh, this other group called Tiger Swan, they're smaller than what Blackwater was. Uh, but they've still got hundreds of contractors that they use here in the United States. Tiger Swan is based in Apex, North Carolina. And uh, Tiger Swan is not above doing operations against U.S. citizens. In fact, they got in trouble uh, a little bit back during the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, protesting that was going on, the different people that were showing up out there. Well, Tiger Swan uh, had a contract to take their people, infiltrate these uh these, I, I hate to call them protesters. People don't like that phrase, but I mean, no offense by it, but the protesters that are there, 
infiltrated them and bedded themselves among them, just like I saw happen back during the Malheur Wildlife Refuge occupation and the uh, Bundy Ranch standoff, all that. Same, same MO. You get these people that embed themselves. Well, not only that, but they had to have permission to be doing certain kinds of surveillance in the state. The state declined their application to be able to do this work, but they did it anyway. And so what what Tiger Swan got in trouble for was for taking helicopters in, doing aerial surveillance on these different protest groups. They were doing daily intel reports based on that uh, evidence they were gaining, and then they were passing it over to the FBI. And the FBI would then use it. That way the FBI can say, yeah, we weren't violating anyone's rights. It wasn't us. Uh, but that's what was going on. Now, because this is so fresh, this information I got about Tiger Swan, I haven't had a whole lot of time to vet and, and look through it. So in my haste, because I had to run out to do a different interview this evening, I just put out a quick video to my audience saying, help me look. I, I did a little research on my own. I saw, hmm, there's some stuff here. Possible that Tiger Swan had, had some role uh, there in Las Vegas. But I made it clear, I don't know at this point. This is just something I want to look into. So I put out a request to viewers to uh, do a little uh, research and collaborate with me on it and pass along anything if they find any evidence or know of anyone associated with Tiger Swan uh, that may have been involved in any kind of recon or, or any kind of work there in Vegas in that time period around it. Um, now, I can't link Tiger Swan directly yet. I, I do have some information on uh, some of the folks who I believe were part of the mercenary team uh, flight records. I don't have a whole lot on them yet beyond that, but uh, we're getting closer. I can say that much. We're getting getting closer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you've been uncovering stuff that nobody else has been able to find. Uh, and I see, I haven't watched, the one video I haven't watched here, uh, this is the last two that you did, rare footage of gunfire on Route 91 concert. Uh, that's a, a video that has not been circulating before? Not much. I found it on a kind of an obscure channel that, that had, I don't, I don't know where they got it from, but there were only like 40 views or so on this footage. And it's, it's, uh, it's actually three different clips that I put into one video, but the main clip is footage from some of the folks that were there at the concert during the shooting. They're up at uh, stage left, which if you're in the audience facing the stage, then that's to your right. Mm-hmm. So these are people up toward the front. And in the footage, you do see some things that I don't think have been shown in, in some of the other footage that's out there. Uh, it, it's at least a close-up point of view. And what you see in the video footage is uh, the gunshots start, talking about the main volley that you hear, and... As Jason Aldean runs off stage, what you can see in the foreground of the video between the person with the cell phone and the stage, you can see a man in a ball cap turning and looking toward the stage and waving security over because security, uh, had been over there, CSS security. Uh, so some of these security guys start coming forward, uh, to, to see what's going on because there's someone that's been shot right there. So they're waving people over. Some of the lo- some of the people right there in that area are starting to tend to the gunshot victim. That's when the second uh, round of, uh, of uh, gunfire came off. And then when that ends, 
there's someone else that has just been shot. And you can hear the person in the video saying, I can't feel my legs anymore. I can't feel my legs anymore. And uh, so they're talking about calling for 911. One of the uh, security guards crawls over the barricade to try and get in and help the wounded. Uh, and then the third volley starts. And uh, at that point, the person's cell phone goes down where you can't see anything, but you can still hear the audio. And it's just terrifying. Uh, I absolutely reject the idea that is peddled out there that this whole thing was a hoax, that everybody involved were a bunch of crisis actors, uh, that nobody was shot. Doggone it, folks. I mean, there is so much evidence that people were shot and killed and shot wounded. And we've got photos of gunshot victims in the hospitals that, that are available out there. There's tons of information. I've interviewed people that have family members that were shot. So I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if, if the whole uh, there's so many people that continue to perpetuate this myth that no no gunshots actually fired. It was either speakers mm-hmm. uh, and sounds and everything else. Makes you wonder if it's not disinformation to make the you know, the truth community look like a bunch of morons. Oh, it is. Really, it, it does make us look like idiots when we, when the prevailing and the mainstream media picks up on this and they repeat it. Oh, look what they're saying. Uh, you know, they don't talk about the things I talk about, you know, where we've got some real substantive, uh, piece, clues to follow, real things that we can verify and validate. No, they go and they pull these guys that say it's all fake and there was nothing happening. And those are the ones that get highlighted. So they're definitely these these folks that talk like this. They're being whether they're totally innocent and they don't mean any offense by it. Doesn't matter. They're being weaponized against the rest of the truth community. Absolutely, Jake. What's happening is uh, a very small percentage of people who are essentially parroting other platforms, throwing in a dash of imaginative research, etc., are then being amplified by the mainstream media to make uh, the new media, the truth movement, the patriot movement, what have you, uh, look uh, disingenuous in the least and incompetent uh, at, at worst. Uh, Jake, let's, uh, let's switch gears here momentarily. Over the weekend, I did quite a bit of research, and I did watch a number of your videos uh, in anticipation for the interview tonight. However, I had no idea that I would actually be participating in it. There, in my opinion, going all the way back to the original... Uh, uh, police scanner recordings, uh, the majority of which are still available to be uh, listened to, uh, audited by our listeners. They're all over YouTube. Uh, Jake, is multiple reports of multiple shooters and or projectiles coming into Bellagio. There certainly seems to be a lot of evidence based on the stampede alone. Um, the, uh, the New York, New York, Aria, Tropicana, Jake, break this down for us a little bit, if you would, and we'll kind of pick up where we left off last time you joined us. In your opinion, multiple shooter teams at these different locales, or is this uh, the fog of war on the day with uh, Las Vegas Metro PD doing their level best to disseminate information but getting false alarms via 911? I'm a very open-minded person. I'll, I'll accept whatever turns out to be Correct. And so when early on in the investigation, I didn't have any. I heard some reports, people saying multiple shooters. And my first guess was, you know, fog of war, confusion, echoes that are being picked up, people, you know, panicked. And so I was completely open 
to the possibility that, you know, it was a lone gunman. Uh, because not everything out there is a conspiracy theory. Sometimes things are just as simple as what the real story is. Not always, but sometimes. But as I spoke with these witnesses and we dug in, there's just no question that there were multiple gunmen. The question that I have at this point, the, the only part of this that I'm uncertain about, is whether or not there were live rounds that were being fired if these were blanks, if they were live rounds, were they purposely uh, shooting them into the air just to cause panic um, instead of trying to shoot people? Because we don't have much of anything to go on as far as uh, you know, bodies or people being shot in different locations. That's the part that causes everything to sound like a conspiracy theory. Because if you've got a shooter down at, say, the Bellagio, and people are running because they... You know, they, there's the broken glass and the shooting and everything. Well, who got shot? Where are the bullet holes in the walls? Uh, and so in speaking with Renee Downs, who was um, one of the ladies, the earliest on, the, the most prominent voice talking about the Bellagio and what she observed with the, the panic and everything, because she was in the Potosian Lounge and all these people come. She heard the gunshots just right past where she was. And people really challenged her on that, said, well, where's the evidence? Uh, but then I had a, a, among the witnesses I spoke to were three men who had been staying at the Delano Hotel. And they talked to me about some of what they witnessed. And it was very, very similar to what Renee was saying happened down at the Bellagio. And also what uh, Aurora Monroe said, she was down at Planet Hollywood and had a similar experience there. And so these men at the Delano what they observed was a couple things. One, all three of them, independent of each other, because I interviewed them separately, all three of them said that inside the the Delano, they had a very, very strong um, odor of gunpowder. Uh, two of the men are gun enthusiasts. They know it, what it smells like. Uh, they didn't see, they didn't see bullet holes or anything like that, but they were certain that something was being fired off. They saw the panicked crowds running. Uh, a couple of them, uh, three of actually there were four of them. The fourth one didn't want to uh, do the interview with me, but three of them went down the hallway, uh, and as they were going down this hallway, this is the corridor that leads between the Delano Hotel over to, you've got the Delano Hotel, the Mandalay Bay Hotel, and in between, is a complex, a two-story complex. There's the Michael Jackson One Theater. There's the uh, the, the uh, uh, sport book area, shops up top. Anyway, in this casino area, there was a SWAT team that came through. And as they came, were coming through, there were gunshots. And we've got some audio evidence of these gunshots, which I've put on my channel. Uh, we've got the testimony from the men. There is one video that I've been allowed by the, the video owner to put out that actually is a little more clear than uh, some of the other material I've, been, I've put out. So I can say that what they're saying matches up very much with what Renee was saying about the Bellagio, what Aurora Monroe was saying. There were multiple people there. I spoke my first night in Las Vegas when I went out there to investigate. The very first police officer that I spoke to told me that it was this officer's opinion, and this is before 
uh, Sheriff Lombardo really cracked down on the officers about them talking to independent media. Uh, what this officer told me is that the general sense of the Vegas PD, that the people, just the average police officers, was that there were multiple shooters. Uh, the question is what they were do, what were they doing? This officer's opinion was that they were trying to lure the, the officers away from the Mandalay Bay with all these false reports. Um, but also there was some speculation that the goal was to try and gather them together in groups and, and potentially shoot at the police officers as they showed up. At least that's, that's, uh, what you don't hear on the scanners is that communication going on between some of the teams of police officers as they're moving around to these different hotels. So even the police believe that there were, uh, not just hoax, hoaxes being called in, but there were people, uh, trying to distract, trying to cause confusion. It seems like the operation was supposed to have gone on, uh, much longer than it did. And what happened at the Mandalay Bay ended up ending sooner than had been anticipated. Remember, up there in the hotel, whether you want to say it was Paddock or someone else, whoever was up on that 32nd floor had only only gone through 1,000 out of 5,000 rounds of ammo that was in the room. Um, that's the claim. Of course, we can ask where all the the, the uh, shell casings are and everything like that, that that aren't really showing in the crime scene photos. But, but still, this was going to be a bigger operation. And uh, something caused it to to end earlier than than they had anticipated. What it seems to be is that these others that were still operating, that the, the uh, gunfire down at the Bellagio, that wasn't until around 11 between 11:15 to 11:25 in that area. It's also the same time that Aurora Monroe talked about it. That's the time that we hear on the police scanner that matches up as far as the time frame. So these things are happening well after. Uh, they already know that there's no more gunfire coming from the Mandalay Bay. So seems like the operation was still ongoing. Uh, otherwise it, what were they doing? Why would they go down there and shoot at these other hotels? Yeah. And you know, um, you, you made some great points. And one of the things that, uh, I want to make sure we, we hit on is the police scanner that, happened on October 1st and and you guys can go out there listeners can go out there if you haven't heard it or if it's been a while since you heard it you want to listen to it again just do a quick search on YouTube or or a search engine you will find the audio of everything that happened from the police scanner point of view and we also have a little uh, snippet from the air traffic controllers who say that they had shooters on the runway at one point during their their broadcast but the uh, scanners on the police that the police have you hear the phone calls, or the, at least the dispatcher, saying, you know, we got reports of shots fired at, at the Luxor or at MGM, uh, you know. And then you have specific information, um, you know, shooting team in the parking garage, too, of, of this hotel. So there were threats or, or there were calls coming in telling this information to law enforcement, whether it was out of confusion or intentionally to deceive law enforcement to keep them occupied. I believe it's the latter. Because people, you don't just call in uh, so specific of reports, and nothing is verifiable in the end. And from what I could see, there was one shooting at a at a motel. I think it was a, some kind of domestic dispute. Uh, that was the only other accurate one, but it was unrelated to Las Vegas. And again, then you had the 
air traffic control audio where you had the people in Las Vegas airport saying there are shooters on the runway and we're working to clear them out. So there was, I, I agree with what you're saying that this was an operation of some kind. Now you've done extensive research into, into some of Stephen Paddock's connections that we covered on the show last time. Have you found any updates from uh, when you were last on about Stephen Paddock, the guy in, in Provo, Utah, the uh, prescriptions to ketamines, anything um, more on Paddock? Yes, actually, I do have a little bit more on that. Let me, uh, something popped in my head here. I'll go ahead and mention something that I have not put out yet in in a video, but I'm going to in the next day or two. That's one more piece of evidence that something did happen there at the uh, Bellagio. Uh, I have, th- there are some live, some of the hotels have got webcams that broadcast images every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day. You can go to these certain websites and go back and look at the history and, and just see what's happening, what the, you know, what it looks like. Well, I've got webcam, uh, a site where if you go through, uh, and I've done this, gone through minute by minute or it's by quarter hour for the day or two before and the day or two after October 1st. And this, again, this is a webcam inside the Bellagio. When you click the forward button to go to the next frame, which is the next 15 minutes, you go 10 o'clock, 10.15, 10.30, and then it skips the next two frames. There's half an hour missing from this footage. It's the only thing that's missing from this, what's supposed to be a public web- webcam archive, it's been deleted. Uh, and the next morning around 6 a.m., among what you do see in one of the frames are Las Vegas PD walking around in, in this area. So they were there all night. They weren't, they weren't there just for uh, a little while. Uh, but I'm going to be putting out more information about that. Just one more piece of the puzzle that helps to establish that uh, the police themselves believed that there were multiple gunmen. But... As far as the the uh, the issue with Panaka and what happened there, so I have over this last this last week I've done a number of interviews with people that are very close to this this, this story, uh, including neighbors of the house that was bombed in Panaka, um, people who grew up with Adam Katchke. Uh I've spoken with the uh, the hospital owner. Uh, or not the hospital owner, the hospital, I don't know if he's called a CEO, the head of the hospital, uh, there at the time when this bombing happened. And, and so let me tell you how all this fits together. Uh, for those not familiar with the story, what, what I'm looking at in this investigation is what was Stephen Paddock doing? I don't believe for one second that Stephen Paddock was just some guy who liked gambling for no reason at all in October 2016, went just went on a gun-buying spree and started making plans for some mass shooting event. Um, Sheriff Lombardo has acknowledged that. Uh, he had been saying previously that um, Stephen Paddock was just some guy who snapped. Well, uh, there's an interview I watched last night of Sheriff Lombardo where he, he doesn't say that anymore. He's not saying he snapped. He's saying that he's been planning this for, he planned this out for a year. Um, and that there were very likely other 
compasses that help the planet, uh, which is a shift in what uh, Lombardo has said in the past. But what was Paddock doing? My belief, based on what I've seen, uh, rental car records, the activities, the movements of Paddock during these years, his ownership of various, I don't want to necessarily call them safe houses because it wasn't for him to hide himself, but uh, these houses where he bought them in different locations had virtually no furniture in them, only spent a day or two there at a time, uh, and he was storing weapons and bomb-making materials there. So this guy is involved in something. Among the evidence that we discussed last show was that uh, Stephen Paddock co-owned a car with a man named Adam Katchke for a little while. And Adam Katchke was the owner of a pharmacy in a town called Caliente, Nevada. Uh, Caliente is about 10, 15 minutes away from a smaller town called Panaca. Well, what Adam Katchke was doing was he was running an illegal, uh, he was selling ketamine, which is a street name, the street name is Special K. It's kind of a hallucinogenic. They use it in, as a painkiller. Uh, vets use it as an anesthetic. Other people use it at, at, at rave parties uh, as either hallucinogenic or um, as a date rape drug. So he is making millions of dollars uh, by selling it, also by double billing Medicaid and just reaping a fortune off this. For some reason, Stephen Paddock was in league with this guy. Stephen Paddock and he owned one car together for about nine months before it was finally transferred into this guy named, uh, this other guy's name. And then Stephen Paddock had a second car, which he also sold to um, the pharmacy manager that, uh, of uh, Adam. Both of those, Adam Katchke and his pharmacy manager, are both sitting in prison right now because they were they were found guilty there uh, for their, their drug scheme. Paddock is tied to them. So back in July of last year, in Panaka, this is a sleepy little town. Everybody knows everybody. Tiny little place. Uh, Caliente, Panaka, I mean, there's nothing there. You've got to drive about an hour and a half to St. George, Utah to get to the nearest, you know, real civilization other than some mom, local mom and pop stores. These people are in the middle of nowhere. Despite that, back in July of 2016, there was this guy named Glenn Jones, a 59-year-old guy. He had been working at a, as a nurse up until recent months uh, at the local hospital in uh uh, it's uh, called Rover Dills. Well, he got fired from that job. I spoke with the uh, man who fired him. Um, he then went and went to Panaka to the home of a couple of people who were also nurses at the, at that hospital, Joshua and Tiffany Clough. Joshua was at work. Tiffany Clough was home with her three daughters. So this guy, Glenn Jones, drives up pulls the car up to her house, bangs on the door, says, I've got a bomb in my car, I'm gonna blow up your house, and then I'm gonna, uh, and I'm gonna kill myself. If you wanna live, get out of your house. So the woman grabs her three little girls, takes off running down the street. I've actually listened to the 911 call of her talking with the, uh, the 911 dispatch, and you can hear the whole thing. Um, she's terrified, she's saying, I don't know what's going on. And while she's still talking, you hear this boom as the uh, uh, the explosion goes off. 
what had happened was this Glenn Jones guy who was from, uh, he got his bomb making stuff for, down in Kingman, Arizona. He traveled up there and for reasons that nobody publicly seems to understand, he went to this particular home. He took one bomb around to the back side of the house. He backed the car up with the other bomb, set them both off. And then, so the story goes, he then shot himself in the head. Actually, uh, let me correct that. He shot himself before the two bombs went off. So it's very strange. What's yeah, also, what makes it extremely strange is that the, the local sheriff, uh, was basically kicked out of the, his own investigation. Las Vegas Metro, uh, sent, and there's a pretty good distance, but they sent a, uh, kind of an elite team over to help with the investigation because the FBI had taken over. The ATF was also involved in this investigation. About half a year later, the sheriff, the local sheriff, uh, was so frustrated that he knew absolutely nothing about the investigation that he talked to the, the local newspapers and he told them, I have repeatedly asked the FBI over and over and over for information on what happened here and they won't tell me anything. He filed formal complaints, just couldn't get anything. So we've got the the strange Panaka bombing. The next-door neighbor uh, was the brother of Adam Katchke, the, the, the neighbor. Um, and I spoke with the neighbors who lived um, on the other side. The bomb was so big, it, it, it sent a part of the car uh through the house, uh, in, embedded into this guy's pickup truck. Re- really powerful. Well, this guy said that, uh, the, these Katchkeys were into some, some bad stuff. Uh, and some of the other witnesses I spoke to said, yeah, while many of the Katchkeys in, in this family, good people, very, very smart people. Uh, one son went to medical school, became a doctor. One became a pharmacist went to pharmacy school, but this guy Adam Katchke, uh, some of them suspect that he was into something worse uh, than just selling this ketamine. And so we've got Stephen Paddock linked not only to this Adam Katchke guy, to his pharmacy manager who was in on this scheme, and it's quite dirty. So I've been talking with these different um, these different neighbors. I've got my notes here. Let me see. I've got some more interviews set up actually with, uh, with a few people including, what can I say? Uh, cause I haven't spoken with them yet. Some people who are, you don't get any closer to Adam Katsky business wise than the, the, the people that I'm interviewing next. What I'm getting from everyone is, is this. They do believe that there is more to the story than just this guy, Adam Katsky, was just a, a guy looking to make money somehow and making money off selling ketamine. These people believe that the government is somehow involved. And I don't mean like, you know, conspiracy theorists, oh, it's always the government. ATF has been in the community. The FBI has been in the community. Whatever that bombing was, they're hiding it from even the local law enforcement that should have jurisdiction there. They don't want it to come out. So what is what is the connection here between Stephen Paddock, his whether it's uh, drug running, maybe was he the source of the ketamine? Is he the guy who was bringing the ketamine from Mexico? Don't know. 
was um, uh, all we know is that there is sufficient evidence here to support the idea that Stephen Paddock was involved in something. He would fly somewhere, rent a car, drive back. Doesn't make sense. If this guy's a millionaire, what's what's he doing? I believe Stephen Paddock was getting his money from this criminal enterprise that he was involved in. Exactly what it was, I've got my suspicions, but I don't have confirmations yet. So that's the direction of my investigation, right? Well, you know, we have received really nothing from the mainstream media, from the police, um, from investigators on the ground, local uh, media either. And that has left, uh, you know, a hole of information that we are left to fill. Usually in scenarios like this, uh, we did see his brother give a few interviews, but also his other brother, interestingly enough, was arrested for child pornography in a nursing home that was allegedly on his computer. Uh, we don't see, you know, old friends coming out, old uh, acquaintances or, or co-workers. We don't have any detailed information about his past, just that he was uh, a successful video poker player. The jobs that they do issue or, or list go back to, you know, uh, when he was younger, the IRS and being a mailman. We know nothing really relevant about this guy's life, no social media presence. We don't know his likes, his dislikes, his political leanings. When we have this uh, little of information, especially after the event was so massive and the coverage so, so massive as well, it's a, it's amazing to me that we have so little to go on. Even from the official investigation that the police conducted, we don't even have some of the basic details, and it took weeks and months just to learn that a, a thousand shots were fired. And that yeah. is is aggravating. And you've done a, a great work in the interviews and in your reporting of this. And I'm just curious as to, you know, uh, what's it going to take for somebody else to come forward or so, anybody to come forward and say, hey, uh, you know, I knew Stephen Paddock. This is what was going on, and you know, this, this is who we work for. I I don't think we're ever going to see it, and maybe at least not um, right now or or anytime soon. But you know, thank God that there's people out out there like you who are digging and continuing to look into this. But the more that time goes by, and the more we don't have the information like this, I do lean towards some sort of government involvement. Whether it was, and when I say government, I don't mean you know. The Department of Defense. I'm talking about, yeah. uh, you know, deep state kind of shadow, maybe, uh, contractors or who knows what it, there, there's so many possibilities. But I agree that there was illegal activity here. Uh, there had to be. Cause you, you, you don't make yeah. millions of dollars playing video poker. If that were the case, I'd no. be rich. So. <laughs> no, mean, you certainly don't. There's no way to make that, that kind of money. Uh, I, and even if you did make it, you're going to turn around and, and lose it rather, mm-hmm. rather quickly. I mean, that's, Otherwise, the, the casinos are not going to make money. That, that's just, it's guaranteed. You're going to lose it. And if you don't lose it, then they'll look from you one way or another. <laughs> that's Vegas. You know, they, remember, this is, is home of the, of the, the, the mafia. Yeah. Uh, they, just because they, a little bit cleaner now how things are done, but it's still dirty and corrupt and there's violence and there's murder and there's, uh, you know, it, uh, you don't need Victor Corleone. You know, out out there, we've got James Muran and 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 others. <laughs> Jake, I want to slip one more in here uh, and get your opinion on this. I was doing a little uh, little pre-show prep, and I pulled this piece from about three weeks ago from Fox News. 
Uh, questions, sadness, hangover, Las Vegas, weeks after the massacre. Uh, this from November 21st, foxnews.com. In this probably three, four hundred worder, it's a classic example of of what I thought was the first little pile of debris that really started to smash through the original narratives that we were being told either by Special Agent in Charge Roos or by the sheriff or any of the deputies or underlings that were permitted to speak, at least in the early days of the investigation. Jake, what is your opinion on this? Why did the mainstream media all of a sudden push and promote and just blow up this narrative about Paddock's motivation, Paddock's motivation? I've reviewed quite a bit of your work, Jake, and here at Team Hagman, you know, we study police procedural. We really try to get it right. We work with lots of law enforcement, really all over the world. Police procedural indicates that you gather evidence first and you figure out what happened and then you worry about why it happened or perhaps you do them in tandem, but you certainly don't place motivation first typically. Jake, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, that's absolutely right. Motive is almost always the last thing you figure out. You figure out what happened, um, and if you're lucky, you find out the motive. A lot of, a lot of times you never do find out the, uh, that's just, that's how it works. Uh, and even in the intelligence community, the FBI, a, a friend of mine who's in the FBI, I've talked with him, you know, just kind of shoot the breeze. What do you think about this? Uh, he's not involved in the Vegas investigation. He's in a different, different, uh, department. Uh, but, you know, I asked him, what do you think about all this, uh, as far as his motive? And he said, we may never find out the motive. We can find out a whole lot, even if we solve the case, find all the, you know, people that may be involved in this. We can still not figure out the motive in the end. The the, the motive certainly is the goal here, but uh, yeah, the mainstream media is just saying motive, 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 really pushing it. And what is so ironic is that they're the ones who are squelching any investigation outside of that that very narrow uh, narrative. How can we have people coming forward? talking about what really happened, what they saw, if they think that they're going to be completely mocked, not only by their you know, friends or uh, people in social media, trolls and such, but also the mainstream media, they, it's not going to want to interview them. You know, they, they shut down the investigation, the, citizen, you know, the ability for citizens to look into this. And you can see, we've been told what the story is, and there's hardly any of us left still looking into the Las Vegas story. That's because it's been wrapped with a nice, neat bow, and everyone else has has moved on, and that's the whole point of it. That's why the media does this. The, me- the media is is uh, their tools. Local media is better, but the, these national uh, outlets, you know, I don't have to preach to you about it, um, but they do control the social narrative. Them combined with uh, Google, Facebook, YouTube, you know, the platforms where they can control uh, the way people th- think by controlling what is allowed to be said. Yeah, and we see, you know, all too familiar, especially with local news, it seems like they all work off maybe five different scripts, depending on what areas in the in the country they are, whether they're in the, you know, the northeast or the southwest. Uh, it might vary a little bit, but it seems like a lot of the local news stations do have, you know, uh, maybe two or three organizations where they uh, gather their news that's non-local stories about what they're going to talk about. And I always thought when I watch my local news um, to see how bad of a job they really do. Anybody uh, should be anybody starting a, a 
a TV show, you go go to in your local town, public access TV, and do a real you know in depth half hour news broadcast, and I guarantee it'll blow any local news out of the water anymore. They've turned into like morning talk shows almost with the, the some of the yeah. stuff they show. But no, it's I mean it's frustrating when you have an uncooperative police. Uh, and, and they've been hampered by the FBI, and then the FBI is not forthcoming, and you have this hush-hush around this case, I'm afraid that, um, you know, it's going to take people like yourself and others to continue to dig into this before we have any major breakthroughs, because we're not going to get those answers from law enforcement. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, Jake. Anything else that you're working on that, that's interesting? Any other investigations? I see you, you posted a video about the uh, the potential war between the U.S., Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, uh, after the peace pro- after the uh, Jerusalem was uh, labeled the capital of Israel by Trump, but anything else that you you're working on that that's piqued your interest? Well, I think it. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have time to to really get into it now, but it is it is true that we really are moving. Uh, it's going to happen. It, it's been in the works for years now. It's uh, it's just a perpetuation of that. Uh, you know, a lot of people have heard that quote from uh, General Wesley Clark after 9-11 when he visited the Pentagon and one of his high-ranking sources there at the Pentagon came and told him, you won't believe this, but there's seven countries that we're, we're planning on bombing. And he said, why? And they said, I don't know. That it, Well, Iran is one of them. We've already knocked off Afghanistan, Iraq. We've gotten you know, Syria to an extent, at least the portion of it that's oil-rich that we want. Um and now we're looking at uh, Israel potentially going to war with uh, Lebanon. And, uh, of course, you've got Saudi Arabia going after Yemen. Anywhere that there is a Shiite presence that Iran is helping to fund, uh, we're, we're seeing this, this collaboration between the USA, Saudi Arabia, and Israel gradually working Iran more and more into a corner. President Trump pulled out of the, uh, you know, the Iran deal. Which is not just about money. It's because eh, part of it is because Iran was complying. Uh, they were never supposed to agree to that. The whole thing was supposed to be a big bluff. But surprisingly, they agreed to it and they've abided by it. By it, and the U.S. government has had to certify that they've been compliant. Uh, it's only just by saying, uh, you know what? In the spirit of it, we just think it's a bad deal, so it doesn't count. And it's funny because Rex Tillerson is out there right now saying. Yeah, we expect that even though America has pulled out of the deal, Iran better keep complying with their end of it. How, how does that work? Yeah. You know, that's interesting. a one-sided deal. Yeah. Jake, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Another fascinating hour, and uh, we're going to continue to watch your videos. End Times News Report on YouTube. Make sure you subs- subscribe to his station as he does tremendous work uh, in putting out in- informative videos. And currently, Las Vegas has been the topic of discussion. Jake, thank you so much. I hope we can have you back on in the future. Hey, thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll be back with Alicia Powell on the other side after this break. Don't go anywhere on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report.
to this hour number three on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. we got a great hour planned for you. In segment one, we're going to be joined by Alicia Powell. She is a journalist with WorldNet Daily. She's a frequent guest on our show, and she's going to give us uh, – we're going to talk to her about the latest of what's going on inside D.C. Um, with the Trump agenda, with these uh, with Roy Moore and the Alabama race tomorrow, as well as the some of the latest stories out of D.C., how they're trying to bring back the – allegations against Trump of women accusing him of sexual harassment before the election, and now they're trying to uh, bring these back to make them uh, actionable, where they're going to try to hold some kind of ethics hearing, or they expect him to resign. I don't know, but this is what they're trying to do, and we're going to get her input on that. Then we're going to be joined by Peter Chauka. Excuse me, he's going to come on after uh, at 9.30, and we're going to talk about his latest piece. That's up on Hagman Report. And it's gotten a lot of traction. And that piece is, I'm looking for the titles here, uh, Anatomy of CNN's Boldest Anti-Trump Fake News Story. So uh, looking forward to that. And we'll have Alicia in just a few moments. Again, uh, stories we were covering was the New York, what happened in New York City. Oh, don't forget also, the uh, my dad's radio show, the Doug Hagman radio show, will be on tomorrow morning. I know there is a lot of news with Fusion GPS that's come out in the last uh, day or two, as well as the DOJ pertaining to Trump's, um, the Trump investigation and Fusion G- Fusion GPS tried to tie Trump to Clinton pedophile pal Jeffrey Epstein. That's an interesting article that's up on the Hagman Report from the Washington Post. Uh, and this goes, it details how they were trying to uh, create scandals where there were none using uh, Clinton friend and convicted fe- pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. And there is also reports of a DOJ, uh, a fusion GPS linked uh, wife to one of the DOJ members who was demoted recently. And we'll get more on that later. We have with us journalist of, from WorldNet Daily, Alicia Powell. Alicia, welcome back to the show. I don't think we have audio, Alicia. We can't hear you. Nope. No audio. Yeah, we'll try and get that figured out. It's funny. Right before Eric brought her on, he said, you know, sometimes we have problems with her Skype, but that doesn't seem to be a a Skype issue. Uh, Probably uh, some settings issues. You know, when we do our show, John, we have to have, we have a, a setup where you have the headphones and you have a microphone set up. And you have to have your settings just right on your computer. And if you don't, things like not being able to control the volume in or out of your computer, not getting volume, uh, it can really screw a lot of things up. And <laughs> I've had many instances where, you know, well, today, we've been Joe, trying to connect and can't do it or trying to hear each other and can't do it, but we'll get it figured out, hopefully. Today, we were actually blessed with uh, about a good 10, 15 seconds of surf music. So that was that was kind of cool <laughs> yeah. on the Hagman Daily Show. You know, uh, Joe, I just want to uh, mention... Uh, what we're seeing here, and, and really we have to give a tip of the hat to the host and founder of the Hagman Report, Doug Hagman, for calling this a good three weeks ago. And I want to advise our listeners and viewers to really use discernment when investigating all of the chicanery coming out of Washington, D.C., uh, with Fusion GPS, with, with all of the Mueller uh, special counsel, the investigations, and also what we're seeing with all of the allegations coming out of Hollywood and ending in the DNC with last week's uh, mandated resignation of Senator Al Franken. 
This is, in my opinion, a massive effort. It's a, it's an effort at controlled conditioning to get the American public, certainly not our listeners, not most of them anyway, but to get the American public to accept the idea that an individual, uh, she or he, must pay for their sins, be they 30, 40, 50 years in the past, right now. Now, why are they doing this? And why are they apparently eating their own, Joe? Well, it's because, ultimately, they want to go after President Donald Trump. They want to prosecute him in the court of public opinion and use the alarmist, shrill, ill-informed uh, half of the country that listens to the plastic media to dismiss this president, get rid of him, based on things that he may or may not have done, Joe, in some cases going back to the early to mid-1970s. Yeah, it's, it is pretty crazy uh, to see what the media is, what the media has been doing. And uh, Alicia, Eric is working to get Alicia um, sound up and, and running, and we'll be able to bring her on shortly, hopefully. John, I see an interesting trend on our website today, and that is the stats. And every day I'd like to go into the back of the website and look at the stats and where the traffic's coming from. And I see an article from October, the beginning of October, uh, from Liz Crokin is, is gaining a lot of traction for some reason tonight. Family members of Trump accuser operated an illegal sex ring. I don't yep. know why that is. Um, I don't know if she republished it or well, uh, it's come up in another uh, story, but it seems to be gaining, gaining some traction for a story that was posted two and a half months ago. That, you know, that's an excellent uh, catch on your part, Joe. I actually did the art layout uh, late one night on that story uh, because her site was down. And long story short, that story, uh, published about two months ago, uh, is completely germane to what I was just talking about. It's a story, in a nutshell, uh, there is a woman uh, in her early 70s out of New York City who accused, uh, at that time, private citizen businessman Donald Trump in, I think, the mid-70s, maybe, I think it was 1977, Joe, of lifting an armrest on a commercial flight and touching her or rubbing up against her inappropriately. Now, that's sort of a story, but but what really built this story out to some pretty big numbers at HagmanReport.com is that it was later discovered that members of this woman's family were involved in a full-blown child sex trafficking ring. And so it doesn't okay. surprise me that that's beginning to trend again because we've got sharp listeners, we've got sharp viewers, and they see what's happening from Hollywood, from the DNC, from Washington, D.C., and even to a lesser degree from Wall Street and other areas of the media. We've seen symphony conductors. We've seen Garrison Keillor from Prairie Home Companion. The accusations are flying. Joe, you know I call them allegation gate. Mm -hmm. And whereas I don't want to dismiss uh, these allegations, I, I am certain that many of them are, are true. There's a, probably quite a, a bit of veracity in many of these complaints, particularly from Hollywood and from D.C., but ultimately, I agree with Doug Hagman. This is laying the groundwork to go after President Trump. Yeah, and that's exactly what they're doing. Now, where that will end up is anybody's guess. As we said, these are allegations that were front and center before the election took place. The people still made their decision, elected Donald Trump as president, uh, and the Access Hollywood tape was out. So are is it going to be worth anything to rehash this? And you said something about Al Franken now. Um, I want to be clear here because as we saw the, the senators unite together, the women senators, and issue, you know, these public 
claims to have Franken step down. Franken said he would resign, but he would do so at the end of the year. So he's still in there for, you know, another few weeks. What happens if Roy Moore wins the election tomorrow? And then Franken says, well, you know, maybe I won't resign. If uh, this guy's going to get into the Senate, why do I have to You know, I, I was just getting ready to ask you that, Joe. We've talked about Judge Roy Moore quite a bit on the Hagman Daily Show, and certainly we've touched on his plight uh, this evening. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, Joe. Your gut feeling, Judge Roy Moore, does he pull it off and become the senator, the junior senator from Alabama tomorrow? I or? say yes. I say yes. But, you know, there, as we said in the first hour, there are conflicting poll numbers out there. We saw one, two different polls today showing two completely different results. One Fox News poll putting Doug Jones, Roy, Moore, Roy Moore's opponent, up by 10 points. And there was a Rasmussen poll that had Roy Moore up by 9 points. And they said the reason for that a huge swing is because this is an election unlike any other where you have, uh, you know, it's in the deep south, a, a very Republican state, yet you have a candidate that is tainted by accusation. Christians in a, in a tough spot and all Alabama voters in a tough spot. But I'm going to stick with what I said last week. I'm a little less sure of it than I was then. Um, it's probably a 50-50 chance, but uh, I'll say Roy Moore gets elected. Well, you know, it's interesting. At the end of the day, the people of Alabama will certainly have their say, and I like the fact that this sort of pertains to the Tenth Amendment and the fact we always need to remember, and I know we've got Alicia Joe, we always need to remember that it is the states that give the authority to the federal government, and certainly we will hear from the state of Alabama tomorrow. Joe? Yeah, we will, and it, I would, I would uh, guess that we would have the results before the end of the show tomorrow, and... uh if you're trying to show a message, I couldn't see it because the paper was folded. We got a uh, backdoor communication. And we have Alicia Powell with us. Sound issues are fixed. Alicia, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hi, thanks for having me back. I hope you can hear me okay. We can hear you fine now. <laughs> welcome, Alicia. How are you? Doing well. Um, good. Well, good. we'll see. It's uh, finally after all of this suspense with Roy Moore. What's going to happen tomorrow? Our Alabama is... Uh, what does this mean for the sexual harassment allegations and what the ramifications are uh the court of public opinion, really? And uh will Roy Moore win is the big question. What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm kind of torn. I want Republicans to keep a majority uh in the Senate. Um, I don't think Roy Moore did a very good job of explicating himself on this issue. He really wavered and waffled, and if anything, I think it shows he's not a very good politician. He's not very good at lying after the Sean Hannity interview that he did. I think it's pretty clear he probably, the allegations are probably true. Um, does that not mean that there's different, you know, the culture 40 years ago in Alabama, Maybe that was more acceptable. That was more of the norm. Um, but he lot, but we'll see. I think we still want a lot of conservatives still want us to keep a majority in the Senate. So they might vote for him on for that despite the allegations. And also, again, these allegations are 40 years old. There's no w- real for- forensic way to, to, to determine if it's true or not. Um, I think right. there, when's the last time you heard of a sexual allegation being made from last week? He or a month ago. Right. I was sexually harassed a month ago or a week ago. That's just, 
never the case. It's always um, 10 years ago, 40 years ago, and it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And, you know, it'd be one thing if there was a police report to verify the alleged assault um, or anything that we could look back and say, okay, you know, this does show. But even what was brought forward, especially by that Nelson lady, uh, her credibility has been has been tainted because she first attributed everything that she she showed in the yearbook to Roy Moore that he signed it and he he did all that. And then you know later in last week she she walked back part of that, saying that she added the location and the date. And as minute as some might look at that, some might take that as, you know, we're reminded of how things work in a courtroom. Oftentimes, a judge will um, tell a jury that if a witness, if you find part of the witness, uh, the witness's statement to to be uh, a lie or not credible, you have to look at everything as not credible. Now, those are courtroom standards, and we're not in a courtroom. But for many people, you know, that that sealed the deal and said, hey, uh, you know, not only is this lady not credible, but I'm not even going to pay attention to any of the other uh, accusations because this has been a smear job. And I understand that point of view, but you said, you know, it might be true. And aside from that, Nielsen, Beverly Nielsen, uh, what's the other allegations, that he dated women when they were 16 years old? Uh, I haven't gone through uh, Leigh Corfman. Leigh Corfman claims that when she was 14 years old, Roy Moore, um, she was waiting outside of court for her mother's uh, divorce hearing, and Roy Moore approached her and they spoke, and then after they... Um, he pursued her, he called her, and they went out on a date in which he drove back to his house, and he got down to his underwear, okay. and she was 14 years old. Now, the 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 age of consent is six, 17. So 16 that's the other, in Alabama, yeah. Or 16 in Alabama back then or now, so she was 14. That's really young. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think even if it is true... It's just so politically opportunistic to come forward a month or two out of the election, and then when he becomes a national, really prominent figure who represents the anti-establishment and President Trump and destroying the swamp, and, and um, we had that whole showdown between him and Luther Strange. Now you come forward just for based on that premise that these claims are 40 years old. I mean, I'd still, if I were in Alabama, maybe be more inclined to vote for Roy Moore, despite it all. Because it's just no way to prove it. Maybe the guy's just a bad politician and waffles. I mean, having interviewed him, I don't think that he answered a lot of the questions I asked him candidly, and he was kind of very scripted. But maybe that's why he waffled during the Hannity interview. There's no way to determine if these allegations are true or not. But we'll see how the Amer- it'll be a good gauge, a good thermometer of how. Americans really feel women and men about these sexual harassment allegations that have been made against Bill O'Reilly, uh, Sean Hannity, uh, Roger Ailes, Bill Cosby. Okay, some of them are obviously true with his photographic evidence. Al Franken and uh, so Trent Franks had to resign last week because he asked two of his his uh, staffers if they'd be willing to be surrogates, and he even offered them five million dollars. So is that sexual harassment? I think we have to define what sexual harassment is. It's a very ambiguous term, and it certainly is uh, just a distinction between sexual harassment and sexual assault. You know, that's an interesting point you make, Alicia. And when the information about Representative Franks came out last week, it it left both Joe and I puzzled. We reported on it uh, on the Hagman Daily Show. 
and I tried as best I could as a, as a man to put myself in the position of these staffers and uh, by whether by process of the uh, congressman's implications, their inference or some combination thereof, five million dollars was apparently offered. I would I would tend to think that would create the kind of pressure and duress that would qualify to some degree as harassment. But I wanted to uh, to ask you this, Alicia. This is from NewYorkTimes.com, and it just posted a few minutes ago. Uh, it says, and I quote, The Alabama Secretary of State, John H. Merrill, said he expected a modest turnout of 20 to 25 percent. Uh, it was about 64 percent in the 2016 uh, presidential election. Uh, local officials have reported an unusually high number of requests for absentee ballots that Mr. Jones will have to garner a significant number of both Republican and independent uh, votes to pull this one off in Alabama tomorrow. So at the end of the day, are there enough never-Trumpers in Alabama that will vote for Mr. Jones, regardless of the allegations? And the second part of the question, is this really a, uh internal referendum on President Trump's first year as President of the United States in Alabama? I mean, I think the Democrats really, uh, I think their sponsoring thought, what they want to do with all these sexual harassment allegations is to go after the president. They want to bring up, he grabbed him by the woo comments, and um, they want to have President Trump be facing more sexual harassment allegations. I mean, if you look at CNN reporting on stories of uh, Trent Franks or uh, Conyers, Al Franken, they also just have talking heads talking about allegations that were made against President Trump, the woman who he allegedly grabbed her butt on a plane. Trump comes out and he says, trust me, you wouldn't be, if I wanted to grab someone, it wouldn't be you. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that, uh, yes, this is a, maybe a referendum against the President in his first year. I think that the Democrats just want to impeach Trump and they're going to use this sexual allegation stuff to go after the President for sure. Now, what's going to happen in Alabama tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, I think he's still going to win. That's what my instincts tell me. And then what does that mean for the sexual harassment stuff? And can you get away with it if it is true? There's no way to prove it. Right. He's 40 year old, 40 years old. So the, the most egregious claim I made against him is because it was a 14 year old and I think he gave her alcohol apparently and they drank. And so. Well, there are a couple of accusations. I don't know if he gave Lake Horfman alcohol, offered her alcohol, but, like, again, I just can't get over the fact, I can't, I can't stop being annoyed by the fact that this is 40 years old. That's all I see about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't, I'm not even 40 years old. I mean, I haven't been alive that long. <laughs> yeah. You've had a long time. There's a statute of limitation that varies by state on, on these kind of harassment claims and allegations for you to prosecute them. And if you beyond those that 100, that five years or 180 days, whatever it is, why should we believe you? <laughs> why yeah. should we have, why should you have more credit? Why do these women, we don't see their faces, their can't, their lives aren't being uh, destroyed like these men are, you know, the careers of these men are. It's just not fair. There's no way to prove it. Bottom line. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, there's no way to, I mean, there's no way to, as you said, to discern the facts from what's speculation, what's a political hit, what's personal feeling or misguided personal feelings. And true or not, at this point, does I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. We're going to have the vote tomorrow, 
and uh, we know we're going to have our, our answer. And I don't. I think it's unfair to say this is a referendum against Trump if Moore loses because of of how they they stack the deck against him in the court of public opinion with these allegations. Now, more interestingly, is them trying to bring these allegations back uh, that were came out before the elections about Trump and, and have some kind of ethics committee or have the public rehash these. And, and find a way to use this to get him impeached. Um, and, and again, this puts, you know, a big, for me, a big taint on the allegations because, uh, or not the allegations or the women's stories, but on the timing of this because they, you know, it's obviously being done for political purposes. These women only spoke out once. That was before the election. They've been quiet again until, you know, Megyn Kelly rolled them out this morning and then they're with the George Soros group today doing a press conference. I mean, so, Megyn Kelly's another one. Yeah. Megyn Kelly's another one. Oh, Bill O'Reilly sexually harassed me and Roger Ailes sexually harassed me. Well, gee, were you really complaining about that when you were covering for Bill O'Reilly at 8 o'clock on primetime and bettering your career, advancing your career? And you, you know? Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, you're so sexy. You're such a victim and you're so sexually harassed, but you don't mind filling in for him when he goes on vacation? Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe, I mean, let's face it, women, women do things for opportunity, women use, abuse their sexual powers too. Oh, women absolutely. Women do yeah. bad things to get ahead too. I mean, we see it all the time, there's cliches of it, so, um, I think, I'm just a tie, I'm, I want to talk more about news, and I'm tired of hearing about, oh, he grabbed my butt in 1949. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of 1949, Alicia, uh, just to uh, qualify quickly what we were talking about a moment ago, the uh, the uh, plaintiff against, uh, at that time, Citizen Trump, uh, is Jessica Leeds uh, from New York, who claims in the late 1970s, uh, Leeds is now 75, she said she is skeptical that any changes in the handling and prevention of sexual assault and harassment will occur. Uh says here, this is abcnewsgo.com. Uh, one of the roughly dozen women who came forward with accusations of sexual harassment or assault against Donald Trump during the presidential campaign doubts that the uproar over allegations against Harvey Weinstein uh, will lead to lasting change. But again, uh, this uh, right here, abcnews.go.com, late 1970s, it's, it, pre- it precedes your time on planet Earth, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would think what I see, what we see old guys who are rich with young chicks under their arm all the time, right? Like 20 year olds or 30 year olds. Why wouldn't, it's not necessarily not true what, what Donald Trump said that got him in so much trouble, uh, that Access Hollywood tape. Women probably do let him do that because women, a lot of them just, they will go out with the man if he has money, and they will pursue him if he has fame. That's nothing new. We're talking about the obvious here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm tired of talking about sexual harassment. Let's talk about WikiLeaks. Well, let's do like, that. We got we got uh, about three minutes <laughs> we'll left. We'll see Alicia. what happens with with uh, Alabama tomorrow. No, and I know it, it, as you said, you don't like talking about it, and I unfortunately, like it's, about it. it's front and center. Someone... Yeah, but yeah, let's let's it's... take this three minutes and go where you want to go. Well, I mean, we've got the CIA posted a tweet last week, um, tweeted something or, or threat, made a threat to WikiLeaks last week, saying that you think you can protect your sources. Well, don't be so sure about that or something along the lines of that. And so I spoke to CIA analysts 
people, former CIA analysts. They've worked with the CIA for maybe 24 years. They're CIA veterans. And um, they all want to see Julian Assange. They don't think he should be pardoned. Julian Assange has been asking for a pardon and asking for a meeting with President Trump, and he claims he has information that will exonerate Trump from the Russia probe. And that Russia had nothing to do with rigging the election and nothing would do with the, nothing to do with the DNC hacks. So these form, so the NSA, the FBI, and the CIA, they claim that the pred, that the Trump campaign officials worked with the Kremlin to hack the DNC email mm-hmm. server. And that, then they gave those, the, the data to WikiLeaks, which released it. And that's all that, that's where the leaks came from throughout the campaign. Well, the CIA analysts I spoke to, uh, they all said, the former CIA analysts, they're retired, they're retired. They say, well, of course, um, the CIA knows that who the DNC leakers are. Like they, there, there's almost no doubt. That's what they do. There's no way for them really not to know. So this ongoing Russia probe that's being waged, you know, is because it's funny because if the CIA know, that would mean that the CIA knows that Trump has nothing to do with um, the Russia leaking the emails with Russia right and yet um, this probe is ongoing this witch hunt is ongoing and it's ridiculous it is and there's nothing there there's nothing there and whatever Julian Assange has he needs to spill the beans already if he has information that exonerate Trump you want to go ahead and release uh, how the CIA hacks devices in all Vault 8 and Vault 7 well, come on and put that information out that will end this stupid Russia probe. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you really do think you deserve a pardon and your heart's in the right place and you're not trying to just to destroy America, or uh, come on out with that information. Yeah, please and, you know, come on out. Tell us who killed Seth Rich, please. Did Hillary <laughs> right? Clinton kill Seth Rich? We really want to know. <laughs> Get him, Alicia. <laughs> and then to to always relate WikiLeaks as some kind of Russian operation. I see it in articles just about every day, and that really makes me mad. WorldNet Daily's own Alicia Powell, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back on, and, and keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. All right. When we come back for our final segment, we'll be joined by Peter Chowka. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. To our final segment on this Monday, December 11th edition of the Hagman Report, we have Peter Barry Chowka, who is going to join us in just a few moments. I want to issue a clarification, and I'm clarifying this from other news agencies reporting. Apparently, it wasn't the Pentagon that is allowing the transgenders to serve in the U.S. military. According to the Washington Examiner, the third federal district court allows the transgenders to serve openly in the military. This was a U.S. district court in Seattle that issued the injunction ordering the Trump administration to allow transgender people from serving in openly in the military. And, uh, so this wasn't, that, this wasn't a deci- decision by the Pentagon saying we're not following the law of the president. This was a, a court ruling in a Seattle court. 
that issued the injunction. So this is going to obviously continue to uh, go through legal battles. This is not over yet. But it was, again, reported that the Pentagon was behind this decision when it was the third federal district court of Seattle. And I don't understand how the, the, the West Coast has become so progressive from, you know, San Diego all the way up to Seattle. It's like a part of the culture out there. Uh, I don't quite get it, but anyway. You know, Joe, I had the opportunity to speak briefly today with Keith Hansen. And Keith uh, Hansen, uh, he's a, a regular guest here on the Hagman Report. He's going to join us Thursday evening uh, to talk about a number of things. And uh, Keith mentioned to me today, uh, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but he said on his program today on the Keith Hansen Show that uh, California is turning its back on the will and on the laws of Almighty God. And it is almost biblical when you think about it. The vineyards burned two months ago, and now we have uh, six fires in Southern California. And uh, being a former resident of Southern California, I can tell you that there are significant residential areas uh, burning, uh, particularly the one near the 405 and the one that's burning through Santa Clarita Valley, uh, Rye Canyon, and the Skirball Fire. Joe? Yeah, and the, the Thomas Fire is the fifth largest in state history. And that's one of the ones that's been burning since this started. I believe it was over a week ago. And uh, it's still no signs of slowing down, and new fires have popped up. We have our guest with us, Peter Barry Chalka. He is a journalist, and he has written extensively on a number of subjects, from health to uh, analysis of the media. And his latest piece, Up on Hagman Report, deals with the controversy surrounding CNN as they had to walk back one of their bombshell stories on the Trump Jr. Russia connection. It's titled Anatomy of CNN's Boldest Anti-Trump Fake News Story. And again, if you missed the interview, he was on with us on the Hagman Daily Show on Friday. And that was an awesome interview. Uh, he was with us for just about the full hour. Peter Chalko, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be with you, and it's great to uh, see you both tonight on our Skype hookup. Yeah, it's great to see you too, Peter. Let's let's jump right into this. John is uh, co-hosting with me. My dad's in the office, but he is uh, engaged in something else that needs to be taken care of. So let's just jump right into this. I kind of uh, outlined a little bit of what was going on at CNN for those who were unaware, as there was another story they walked back today about Jeff Sessions and his disclosing of foreign contacts uh, to the FBI during or to the uh, during his Senate confirmation hearing, and. It has come out today. They had to walk back. CNN had to walk back their story, saying the FBI never uh, wanted or asked for the foreign contacts, which was a big story in May that they said, you know, pointed towards the Trump-Russia collusion story even more. But let's get into your report here. Uh, you start out by talking about the suspension of ABC's Brian Ross and uh, the MSNBC trying to to change and, and manipulate the ratings numbers that you also wrote about last week. But here we have a story that is very strange to me because, and I'll just boil down to what my problem with the story is, is the, uh, apparently you have two sources getting the date wrong of a document they don't have possession of, but read and reported on. And my, I, I would uh, venture to say, if I had to guess, it's only one source that they have, and they, they turned it into two. But give us your breakdown on the story, Peter. Whether it was one source or two sources, they were anonymous sources. Apparently, uh, CNN uh, received uh, contact from one or two anonymous sources f 
Friday morning or Thursday night. And Friday morning at 8 a.m., they went with the story, which became a blockbuster story and was picked up by all of the rest of the media immediately, claiming that a person had emailed the Trumps, Donald Trump Sr. and Donald Trump Jr., back in September of 2016, with information about the WikiLeaks cache of documents from the Democratic National Committee, which would be harmful to Hillary Clinton and which presumably would be of use to the Trump campaign as it entered the fall final phase of the campaign. And the CNN report alleged that the Trumps were given access to this WikiLeaks trove before it actually went public so that they would have first look at it. And they were also given an encryption key to unlock it. The only problem was the story was completely false. A CNN claim this email was sent on September 4th, which, if true, September 4th last year, which, if true, would have meant that the Trumps or whoever got the email might have accessed the documents before they went public. But, in fact, this email, and it was a real email that was sent, was sent on September 14th, which was after the WikiLeaks documents became public. So, as we say, it was a nothing burger story. There was no there there. And yet CNN went with this. And, of course, the point of the story was it appeared to add credence to CNN's and the rest of the mainstream media's theories that the Trump campaign was somehow in collusion with the Russians or WikiLeaks to spin the election to their advantage and to harm Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, when probably the reverse is true. Now, another interesting fact here is it took CNN eight full hours to correct this story. And it was within two or three hours of it first going online at 8 a.m. Eastern Time that actually some major mainstream media, including the Washington Post, called attention to its inaccuracies and basic fakery. And yet CNN left it up there. And it wasn't only online. Of course, CNN was making this the lead story all day on the cable news network broadcast here in the United States and internationally. So it was a huge story. And they didn't retract it, not even retract it, they didn't correct it, unquote, until 3.50 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday. And they never did apologize for it. I mean, if this was a genuine error, don't you think that they would apologize to Donald Trump Sr. and Jr. for this egregious mistake and also to their viewing public and the rest of the world? Because the rest of the mainstream media initially picked this story up and ran with it as if it was real news. So this is emerging, in my opinion, and not only my opinion, but many people who observe the media. This is emerging as a classic case history in really fake news. I don't understand how they could have gone with this story except that they have a built-in enmity towards Donald Trump. And they're grabbing at any news that comes down the pike that they can spin against him and his administration. Now, interestingly, Joe Concha of The Hill, the very excellent media reporter of The Hill, who often appears on Fox News and on Sean Hannity. In fact, he was on Sean Hannity's radio program this afternoon where he said that the anonymous source or sources who gave 
CNN, this story, were not sources at all, but they were political operatives. And they were probably getting this information from a House uh, closed hearing at which Donald Trump Jr. testified last Wednesday, I believe it was, when this email, he was asked about this email. Uh, and by the way, the email was from an individual, a real individual named uh, Mike Erickson, who sent it to the Trumps on September 14th, not it was one of thousands of emails that they get. They don't. They didn't know Mike Erickson. He didn't know them. So uh, again, it's it's a nothing burger story. But Joe Concha was saying that not only was uh, this not a source, but it was a political operative, but that he was a bad operative. That is CNN source or sources who needs to be burned. Unquote. Meaning this source or sources needs to be brought out into the open so that we know who he or she is to be exposed for his or her fakery. And this points up in the bigger picture, or between the lines, as I like to say, that uh, journalists today, I mean, we, we really can't call these people at CNN, in my opinion, journalists. They're hacks, political hacks, basically, propagandists. But they don't really do reporting. What they do is they sit in their offices and they wait to get anonymous emails or calls giving them uh, leads on stories, and then they run with it. And they don't even bother confirming these stories a lot of the time, as they did not confirm this one. They never saw even the email that was at question, and they, they had no way of validating it. And yet they ran with it as if it was this really huge story that was going to add to all of the stuff that they're throwing out there to hopefully, in their view, take down the Trump administration. You know, Peter, it's interesting, uh, in looking through your article, a uh, two-part question. Uh, first of all, it seems that uh, if we look at the mainstream media in the United States from a global perspective, with what CNN is doing, MSNBC coming in right in behind them, but CNN certainly the clown car of cable news, uh, this has got to be damaging our reputation as a whole for journalism in this country from a global perspective. I, I'm sure you notice in doing show prep and research for your material, uh, I would say 30% of the stuff posted on Drudge day in and day out is sourced from foreign media outlets. Uh, I'd like to, point. I'd like to hear your comment on that. And then uh, also you mentioned, uh, toward the, the end of your article, that this is not the first time CNN has stepped in it uh, this year. And, of course, you point out Anthony Scaramucci, and I thought you might like to comment on that as well. Right. Well, you have an excellent point there that uh, credible reporting on American politics, politics in the United States, often some of the best reporting often comes from foreign sources, in particular uh, Britain, the United Kingdom, the London newspapers and websites which are very vigorous in their uh, reporting on what goes on in the United States. And you'll often read in the British press uh, a, a truer, more accurate story of some basic things that are going on here that either don't make it into the American press or they, or we get a sanitized or shortened version here, whereas the Daily Mail, for example, will go into uh, very long stories about what's going on in the United States. You know, one, uh, I mean, you, you could really make a, a laundry list of bad reporting that not only CNN has done in the past year or years, but all of them, MSNBC. I mean, I mentioned uh, within the last week I did an article for the Hagman Report on uh, MSNBC attempting to fake 
the ratings. And this is something I wrote that CNN did as well uh, several months ago. Uh, the ratings, the television ratings are very critical to both broadcast and cable television. There's millions of dollars to be made and, and very, and, and the three cable news, main cable news networks now, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News are often pretty close in the ratings with the exception of CNN actually is usually farther behind. But, uh, CNN to try to gain a few advantage points last week massaged the Nielsen ratings and claimed that, um, uh, they were coming out stronger at the 9 p.m. hour because they were... No, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm MSNBC last week. I'm, I'm thinking of CNN this past summer. NBC last week did the same thing that CNN did last summer in claiming that at the 9 p.m. hour, they were doing better than they were because they were substituting special programming when Rachel Maddow at MSNBC was not on at 9 p.m. against Sean Hannity. So it's like comparing apples and oranges. They're saying, oh, the 9 p.m. hour at MSNBC did well because Rachel Maddow wasn't on that night. So that show, therefore, whatever they ran, beat Sean Hannity. But it wasn't Rachel Maddow beating Sean Hannity. So, you know, this is really kind of getting down into the weeds. But when you look at it objectively and fairly, you see that uh, they're 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 even faking or trying to fake the ratings. So, you know, what kind of credibility do they have? It's really, really pathetic, and, and it's dangerous because it's a significant number, percentage of the public now, certainly the people that we respect and deal with and speak to on a daily or nightly basis here, uh, are growing increasingly distrustful of the mainstream media in this country. And, and this is bad news for the future of the republic. If we can't trust on uh, some degree of fairness and objectivity in the American media, then uh, this is really a dangerous times ahead with all the craziness that's going on right now. Yes, it is, Peter. And if I can, I want to go back to uh, the CNN, the botched CNN story, and ask you about the sources now you 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 contend that we have to find out who these sources are and see what went wrong and where it went wrong. Um, but I have a question: Would the could this prove that uh, in some way that the the source um, is inside the who, who would have access to this email? I guess is my question. And we know that the people were not given a, a physical copy of it; they were allowed to read it on a computer. Could uh, them leaking this kind of information or doing it with the wrong facts, uh, could this point to one specific person or, or in one area, I guess is the question. But, um, I mean, how can we, how can we bring the source out into the public with, um, and, and do it in a way that, that is not putting anyone in danger? Well, the source or sources, uh, either lied or, uh, CNN lied or both of them lied. Uh, the working theory right now is that the source or sources for this inaccurate information that was given to CNN, assuming that's all on the level and that's what really happened, uh, the sources were probably part of the closed House of Representatives committee hearing last week, which grilled Donald Trump Jr., for a number of hours as part of their investigations on Capitol Hill of the alleged into the alleged Russian collusion. And at that hearing, it is thought this email, uh, the existence of this email, which figured in the CNN story on Friday, 
uh, was raised and Donna. So the working theory is that someone within that hearing, it might have even been a member of Congress, a Democrat member of Congress, or a staff person who knew about it, uh, tried to leak it to CNN. And, and either a mistake was made and, and someone got the dates wrong, or it was a witting error on the part of the leaker, not the whistleblower, but the leaker, to try to throw up a lot of dirt uh, and 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 smear and besmirch uh, the Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr. and the administration, and add weight to this ongoing nothing burger Russian collusion story. Now, uh, again, to cite Joe Concha, the excellent reporter for the Hill online, he was on with Tucker Carlson this evening, and I believe it was there that he said that um, uh, uh, that he added. And uh, I'm actually forgetting the point I was going to go to there. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that happens to me all the time, Peter. It does. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy when it happens. We're but trying to keep so much information in mind, and unless you have a desk full of notes here, it can just uh, well, blow away with the wind. But, uh, uh, well, he was pointing, you know, and this gets into the sourcing again. Like, why do we need to know the sources? I guess in order to nail down why this story went Bad. I mean, this this was. Oh, I know what what he said. He pointed out that this is how bad it really is when CNN or or any other mainstream media gets the story wrong, and even if they correct it later, he pointed out that I believe it was the uh, CNN correspondent responsible for this fake news story, a man named Manu Raju. He's 37 years old. His parents came here from India. They were both medical doctors. Uh, Manu Raju has a degree in business administration from the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and now he's an award-winning CNN reporter, and this is the kind of stuff he comes up with. Anyway, Joe Concha was pointing out that the morning that this story broke on CNN, Mr. Raju, the correspondent behind it, went to his Twitter and tweeted this big blockbuster news, and Concha had counted up the number of retweets and likes that Raju's original tweet on the fake news got, and it was in the thousands in each case, many thousands. So the the story went viral. That was one indication of it. Even the Later stock market on, dropped what three hundred well, exactly, points. Well, well, actually, that was that was the stock market dropped with Brian Ross's fake ah, news okay, the week before. But you're close there. Yeah, this is how dangerous it, these kinds of fake news stories can be. But uh, Concha, Joe Concha, went back and looked at. The tweet that Manu Raju uh, tweeted later when the story was corrected, and uh, that got a, a tiny number of tweets and likes. I mean, it was fewer than a hundred. Pathetic. So it got, I think he said, it got 98 times as many retweets and likes in the first incarnation of fake news than it did when it was corrected. So this is the danger of fake news, even if it is corrected later, which often it isn't. Uh, the impression is set, the bad news is done, the damage has been done, and, and you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Exactly. Peter, you make an excellent point. I was just uh, uh, picking up by process of inference that we see a well-developed tactic here uh, where uh, the 
less scrupulous in the fake stream media can basically throw whatever they want out into the court of public opinion, public perception, and platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. can pick it up, uh, blow it out exponentially, essentially smear someone, and in some cases ruin a career, a marriage, or both, and it doesn't even matter at the end of the day if there's any veracity in the story whatsoever. Peter, I have, right. a, I have a question for you. Uh, we seem to be at a time right now that would certainly rival the time of Hearst and Pulitzer where we get the term yellow journalism back at the turn of last century. Now, we know these newspaper barons uh, cooked up the news to sell a lot of papers. I would submit to you that the fake stream media today is cooking up the news to sell out a president. Uh, do you know, Peter, what pulled us up by our intellectual bootstraps and got us away from the yellow journalism era of Pulitzer and, and Hearst? And if so, what can we do today to get out of this ridiculous fake stream uh, centrifugal conundrum of garbage? Excellent question, and it's precisely relevant, because my understanding of that period a 100 years or so ago when yellow journalism, as you've noted, was kind of the coin of the realm, even though there were some leading, well-funded uh, journalistic entities at the hands of Hearst and others that were the big-selling newspapers of the time, there was a very competitive nature to the businessmen, like uh, to the business then. In New York City, for example, there were 20 or more newspapers competing on a daily basis, many of them with both morning and afternoon editions. So even when you had... Uh, some of the major papers practicing this uh, more fake news of the era, you had a counter papers from different ideological point of views, points of view, which uh, gave you a range of opinions. And I would say that's kind of a similar in a way to what we see now with, uh, of course, the mainstream media, which is almost uniformly fake and untrustworthy, with the exception of Fox News and some limited number of others, Sinclair, Circa News, etc., uh, but we have, of course, the Internet and the alternative press, which is providing that uh, alternative view from a variety of points of view. And if anything is going to save us and give us hope in this fake news era that we're now in, it is the Internet and the alternative press. And before we run out of time, I just wanted to mention this, uh, if I could, to the audience that's sure. watching or listening live right now and also via podcast. Um I've taken a leap into social media reluctantly and gradually uh, with starting of a Twitter account, which I did in August of this year. And I would really like to encourage listeners and viewers to please check out my Twitter, which is simply twitter.com slash pchowka, P-C-H-O-W-K-A. And the reason I mention this is not for any... Uh, need for personal aggrandizement. I don't make any money from this. I'm not looking for fame and fortune. What I'm looking is to push my number of followers o over the 2,000 mark because I'm very close and then grow from there. And the reason the numbers are important is Twitter is a truly viral medium. And when you start to build up followers who are actually engaged as uh Fortunately, many of my followers are. I don't even like that term, followers, but we have to use that. Uh, that is what spreads this information out. And I basically use my Twitter as a listing, as, as a contents of the broadcasts that I'm doing like this one. 
I don't retweet. I've only retweeted one thing so far, so it's kind of low intensity. So if you follow me, you're not going to get inundated with notifications and messages. And an advantage of following me is it not only helps me and us at the Hagman Report to get the story out, but if you want, you can direct message me, and I will be happy to respond to you, whatever your concern or comment is. So I would really appreciate people's support on that. And other than that, I think to wrap this up with a bow here, hopefully before we close, and look at, again, the big picture, connecting the dots, looking at it between the lines. What we're seeing here in the aggregate is, again, not only fake news, but the outlines of a soft coup, which is trying to take down the Trump administration. That is really escalating today. We saw two leading senators, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, who plans to run for president, and Ron Wyden, the socialist from Oregon. They both demanded that Donald Trump resign from the office of the presidency because there are outstanding allegations against him by several women that he sexually harassed them. And as has been said before by your previous guest, by Doug, by me, early on, this whole Me Too meme of women claiming harassment at the drop of a hat now is being manipulated by the shadow government, the deep state, the media, and the Democrat Party to take down Donald Trump, which is not to negate women who have a legitimate uh, case to make against men who have oppressed them. But, I mean, let's get real here. As Alicia Power, I believe, was mentioning before I came on, you know, 40-year-old allegations coming out of nowhere, hurled at people, and then, like like uh, Judge Moore in Alabama, and then we see uh, day by day the accusations being whittled down to less and less because of the fakery involved in them. So there's some serious dirty business going on here, and uh, we, we can't lose sight of the big picture. And, you know, I, I tried to call attention to this danger, I think, two and a half weeks ago, including in an article I did for the Hagman Report, that when the uh, story of Al Franken broke, I said, be careful, conservatives, what you wish for. If you want to fry him and kick him out of the Senate based on just some allegations, uh, watch out, because the real target here is Donald Trump. Certainly not to absolve Al Franken. I'm no fan of his, but we do have the rule of law here, hopefully, and you're uh, innocent until proven guilty, and I would really like to see that standard brought back, which would only hopefully protect Donald Trump until and when he is found guilty in a court of law, which uh, my prediction is will will never happen for either Russian collusion or all of these uh, harassment claims that are being made against him for political purposes. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Peter, and uh, your analysis is right on the money. Uh, we're at the very end of the show here. just want to say I like your Christmas decorations, especially the little cat with the Santa hat on it. That's really cute, and I think uh, I think that's my favorite in your... Uh, behind you, that, I believe that cat, that stuffed cat behind me, I believe that is Pete the cat. That was a Christmas gift to me uh, several years ago, and uh, and that's that guy's name. And then briefly, also earlier, you may have noticed uh, the second cameo appearance of Biggie, the gray cat. And yeah. uh, <laughs> several people have commented he is not a Russian blue cat. He does look like a Russian blue, but Russian blues have very particular characteristics and. Uh, Go to RussianBlue.com, which is one of my websites, to check that out if you're cat-oriented. But it's a pleasure once again, gentlemen, and I'll look forward to our next uh, meeting on Skype. Absolutely. It was great to have you, Peter. Thank you so much. 
John, I want to thank you so much for, for co-hosting the show tonight. Had a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, join us tomorrow on the Hagman Daily Show at 12 on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you to Doug Hagman for this opportunity. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern. Good night.